Shall I introduce myself, or do you yeah, want to introduce you can me? Just, you can come out in the course of conversation, or we'll probably do a little preamble thing where we like give a brief introduction, introduction. or something. But yeah. but yeah, if you have a if you have a canned introduction you want to give, you feel feel free. Nothing that comes out of my mouth is canned. It's it's inspired. Usually, it's fun. Divinely inspired, inspired, I imagine. Yeah. Well, so why did you choose to study theology, Jeremy? I was in the study of religion. Uh, which well, you didn't technically study. He did. He was a theology from, major. Yeah. No, technically distinct from theology. Oh, the which, study of religion. That's right. Yeah, it's the a divinity religion. school. Just call it religion. Right, the religion. Yeah. The committee on the study of religion, which is committee a, on the study it's of a religion. Degree granting committee. It's just the name of the concentration. Just the name of the concentration is. I'm just always interested in these euphemisms. No, I, I, I don't fully understand why they don't grant religion an undergraduate degree. It's like social studies, a committee. I think his son was his I'm sure there are historical reasons of like lots of pushback one way or another. Yeah, or I mean, religion is probably one of the oldest departments at Harvard. It might be, it actually probably was like the first universe. major. Yeah. Yeah. How did you like come Latin. to cultivating an interest in, in such a, um, I don't know, anti-intellectual pursuit? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. Religion? Well, Wait, you, you used to be, you used to be quite religious, right? It's a long Before you lost, you lost, uh. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure I'm not sure this early in the pod I'm prepared to go public on the record describing my childhood religious experiences. But I will say this. I was drawn to the to the rational uh, discourse in the study of religion on the nature of religious like varieties of religious experiences to, to I believe we quote William James. In other words, the study of it was about for me personally a, a, an organization through anthropology, social science, history, um, of a personal experience. So, I, I mean, I, I too am very fascinated in that aspect of religion. Or, or but I actually, I, I find the most fascinating parts to me about religion are the uh, evolutionary implications. Mm -hmm. Like religion is an adaptive system. Yeah. Sort of like memes, like Dawkins would talk about sure. the, the. But but also actually quite genetically encoded because religiosity is quite heritable. For example. Yeah. Um, As a meme, it's, it, it it should be very prolific, right? Because the the sort of outcomes are really favorable, right? Yeah. Um, first of all, you community you, you form established community of coping mechanisms. Well, no, know. and also also there's no repercussions for anything that you do, right? And you go to this better place in most cases um, that can't be proven or unproven and can be fictionalized. To sure, you're also willing to like get a large group of people to, to sort of behave, you know, in a way yeah. that sort of benefits yeah. probably benefits the people who. It was a, the precedent for the penal system. I, I, I would really say this. I would say that. So the, this, I took the. I was advanced standing, um, which for some of your listeners is um, Harvard's uh, label for what other places refer to as, I think, sophomore standing, is when you come in with freshmen. You just have a bunch of AP classes. Yeah, so. you have AP classes, yeah, yeah. and you, you yeah. come in <coughs> as a, with, with the ability to take um, classes at the sophomore level, and then you gradu graduate in three or three and a half years. So I took these... Did you graduate in three I, or three I, and a half years? No, I just spent the full... I just, you know, I, I really relished... I gourmandized the course catalog and relished my undergraduate years um, <laughs> and did everything I could to... to by the around. way, I don't think there's any such thing as what Jeremy's talking about about like sophomore level classes and stuff. Like yeah, 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 yeah. No, I took advanced the, standing is I, a thing. It, I, I, no, I presumably spent, you just didn't have to take like no, the I, basic. No, I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you what happened. I, I enrolled in. I, no, I did do that, but I enrolled. Oh, so you still in, had to take the freshman. Yeah, in the first for the first semester, and then the second semester of freshman year, I enrolled in the sophomore tutorial in the study of religion. Uh huh. For me, fundamentally, to figure out whether but I, I could have done that too if I no, wanted to. Ninety percent of people no. at Harvard. Student for advanced. Wait, who are you? 
It's just not. It's actually. Who the fuck is here? Who the fuck is this? Is that your dog? You're allowed to just enter the podcast and start, you know, speaking ex cathedra about how things attacks on how things work at Harvard. Excuse me. Kieran's here. Oh gosh. You know, a little extra muscle. Luke's bodyguard is here, guys. Sorry. He likes to speak out of turn. The answer to your question is you couldn't have taken the sophomore tutorial. Only sophomores could take the sophomore tutorial in the study of religion. You had to have already decided what your major. So, because so I, I guess, I guess in, in humanities, because they don't have like objective competence that Here they can go. measure in people, uh, <laughs> like it's very easy in the sciences or well, math to just take whatever class you're able to take. They can they can count in the humanities, and so the, yeah. the you know two comes after one, <laughs> and basically you had to do the first class. <laughs> it looks like a class. religious experience. You have to go <laughs> so, through the the trials and tribulations. So I enjoyed so. what I, what happened to me personally was I enjoyed the the, the way that they, the the software tutorial was a is a sort of Quick summer, it starts in the 19th century, moves in the 20th century, and organizes what what is the sort of Western uh, discourse on the study of religion, why religion exists, what it is. At the beginning, it has it has intimate roots. The beginning, the origins of sociology in France, Emile Durkheim, and then there's William James, and then the 20th century you have like the you know serious anthropologists, mm -hmm. uh, Mary Douglas, and others take an interest in in religious experience. And what I what I got from it was actually which we read some Freud as well. What I actually got from it was a kind of awakening mm. in, into the Enlightenment modes of thinking and organizing. Uh, you know, like anti-religious yeah, thought, basically. Basically, yeah. I, I lost my sort of myst mystical... Did, but did you come into school with a strong mystical underpinning to yeah. how you looked at the world? A believer, yeah. 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 So yeah. is it possible this that your whole, so your whole rational story about studying religion... Is is a little bit produced after the fact because you you indeed did believe a lot of this stuff and were or at least were it, very it, curious in exploring your beliefs. Before. No, that's what I'm saying. I, my apostasy was rooted in the study of learning that, like for example, reading um, civilization is discontents. Hmm. Um, but most specifically, my sophomore year, I read wrote on the future of an illusion, which is Freud's book mm -hmm. on greatly disappointing his his Jewish followers in psychoanalysis. It's his book on the the imminent demise and irrelevance of religion and um and it was the reading of that that for me that was one of the pivotal aspects of like you know i'm no longer a believer so it, how, it, how, how, how common was that experience by the way of, of studying religion like of your cohort were there any other people huh. that you found had like profound changes a in couple. their religiosity yeah a couple yeah i mean the other thing for me was the i actually took a class in this in the divinity school on the new testament uh, which was a, which was taught by this brilliant um, Swiss uh, textual historian, uh, like like literally people who go and look at like the the scrolls at, at the Dead Sea Scrolls and Nag Hammadi and all this stuff, mm. and um, and 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 fundamentally understanding the human what we know today about the construction yeah. of of the Gospels was was a, almost like this demystifying experience where you sort of realize this can't be the well, probably humanized it to an extent too. Yeah. But so how was it? How was your sort of religiosity originally instilled? Was it familial? Was yeah. it your family? Yeah, it was familial. Uh, and uh, and I, I guess like it'd be great to understand how you sort of have ended up decoupling uh, the your your own beliefs or yeah. your apostasy from your relationship with your family. Oh, so I often man. see that. Yeah. I often see that as a difficult as a difficult Super transition. Hard. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, this is the interesting thing about about like worldviews when you're when you're a child you you inherit the dominant one in your household um and if it's if it's if it has like tentacles in epistemology and metaphysics 
then it's really difficult to to change. And so, the, the, one of the very interesting things I've observed, and it's not my original observation, but I think like probably Eliezer Yudkowsky, I think is the one who I saw say this. The rationalist community of people who you know make a very protracted effort to be the opposite of religious and how they yeah. analyze the world is particularly made up of comprised of individuals who either a came from very religious sure. orthodox religious in yeah. particular upbringings yeah or people who had dealt with a lot of like familial <coughs> mental health issues like had family members with uh peculiar and so yeah. you, you, he was talking about sort of this the, the this the reconciliation between your relationship with your family yeah and also uh and, and also the the sort of uh newfound uh, uh, uh you know I, I guess recording resume now apologies for the edit that came just before this uh jeremy's dog went absolutely ballistic uh and had to be put down um so uh we're discussing uh jeremy's uh sort of uh i i suppose um enlightenment in his college years where he uh moved towards uh, a, a more incredulous view of uh, of sort of his his hmm. religion, yeah. Um, and then we were talking about sort of how he was able to reconcile his his newfound beliefs with his uh, very religious family and his relationship with them. That, yeah, is that roughly correct. That's a good. That's a good at. good reminder of where we were. So fundamentally, to me, the like skepticism. I think I I think credulity is actually a fun concept here because. One of the aspects of a religious mindset is that you're open to reveal like, different kinds of truths. I mean, you're, you're not skeptical. I mean, that's basically what it means to be spiritual. Is fundamentally, um, a, 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 well, you're skeptical that your religion, like, of claims that your religion is nonsense. Well, you okay. just have differently directed. Sure, but, but my point is that if you talk to like spiritual people, religious people of, of all stripes and start to tell them about your revealed experience, like you take a coincidence and you assign it all this meaning, or you talk about a, like a visitation or any kind of, of the occult, they'll tend to, just they'll believe, tend to you. believe you yeah. because they themselves are also in this open which, which, which suggests a highly uh, kind of agreeable disposition. I wonder, right. I wonder actually how much that maps. I, I haven't looked Although at it's very biased much. towards uh, the type of openness that favors religious belief, uh, any skepticism or any sort of coincidence <laughs> where you discover that uh, a, a sort of any holes like in, evolution, in, in, yeah, like evolution yeah, for well, some reason is not as well tolerated. Yeah, well, this, is, this, is, this is my point about transitioning to a to a worldview that's 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 that is scientific or you know materialist or or, or skeptical. Is that all of a sudden once you're like, well, if this isn't true, what else isn't true? And then a lot of other things can be rebuilt, and there's a psychological toll. Uh, that comes with with apostasy that I think is poorly discussed publicly. Well, here's a good question because actually I think it's very interesting. The best framework I've heard of for the reason why breakups, especially breakups that involve you know uh, adultery and or dishonesty or whatever else, mm -hmm. why they're so emotionally painful, is because you're having to update like your entire worldview based on right. this. You know, you're acting and thinking that you're. Perceived in a certain way that this was I was I ever loved? Yeah, yeah. Was anything ever true? Was, yes. was, did, did my and, significant other lie? You have to reevaluate and calculate all the past yeah. events that you have a certain yeah. you know heuristic for in your brain. Would you say that that 
your apostasy broke, was similar to breakups you had. Broke up with Jesus. And, yeah. And, no, actually, and, yeah. Did, it, did it map at no, all? No, I'd say it's the most severe breakup I've ever had. It's like because it, so it, it came well, with I that mean, emotional. Think about religion is think about especially Christianity is that it's totalizing and it has an infinite infinity in your in your. Wait, were you were you Christian? Yeah. You didn't know that. <laughs> Well, that's peculiar given you also being 100 on I thought I was brought on the podcast because you had this context. No, no I had I, no context. I was raised. I was raised a born again Christian and had. Oh, uh, just sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. you, but, did, you just but did that. I, I know, but, <laughs> but, 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 but I do want to know. I want I want you to include in this in this diatribe that you're about to have. Um, <laughs> I want you. To, um, I, I also want to know which elements of of sort of Christianity you actually believed in because you're a bright person. So my uh, my you know I'm presupposing that. You didn't believe you. You had some sort of belief in science, and you believed sure. in evolution. Yeah. And, that, that's what's amazing. Things, it's so, so remarkable. Yeah. Like looking back at the first seventeen, first half of my life, I was able to hold inconsistencies in in some some sort of there was some sort of equilibrium you could achieve with with these you know C.S. Lewis style you know ca it's casuistry you know strange bending of logic to kind of say well sure the revealed word of God says that the the world is this the world was created, but you know, evolution is sort of true and you kind of like do all But these... it was created before well, evolution, you can, yeah, I mean, but this also the animals already exist. Yeah, but you do this sort of gymnastics associated with any kind of uh, you know well, do you, do you think of do you think accommodation what? of of multiple truths. You're sort of saying like the the world could be both created and and, and evolved and, you, and this is not a new there are a lot of people well, well cognitive dissonance is a major thing sure yeah and I I my model for like describing cognitive dissonance has usually been like someone just doesn't run the computation like you you reach things that contradict with each other and then you just decide to kind of shut off yeah the the final step of the computation that would resolve but, that difference. Because you're just like, ah, oh, I'm not sure exactly. But that's not true. I think you can you can invent more and more elaborate arguments where you're running a computation that's almost intentionally but you're, but you're, deceptive, self-deceptive, right? But, but it eventually has to resolve or be false. But you, you can also be able humans have the ability to be in in you know the, the what the what was called the dark night of the soul. It's like you're able to like wander intellectually and run computations in your in your language. Um, for over a long period of time, mm -hmm. so it isn't something that you, it's not like a system that needs to resolve it by midnight or else. You, instead, you get to wonder, and so. Part but, of but, but but my point is that you just like the reason why it takes a long time is because you cut short the the full exploration of the the chain of logic. Yeah. I mean, this is, I, I'm not saying this is the yeah. truth. I'm just saying this is sort of no. I like how that. I actually like that model. I think it's sort of what I mean. Obviously, the brain is is is. If, Functions the computer is a decent model for a brain. It, 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 it's certainly my it's certainly my experience that when I try to have a conversation with someone who maybe has very strong reasons to believe otherwise, yeah. they're very motivated. I always love the the saying that you know any person uh, can believe anything so long as their salary depends on it or whatever. It's yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Paraphrasing. Yeah. Uh, whenever you confront someone who has a very strong reason to believe a certain thing but that thing is probably not true, or you can present any degree of evidence that it's right. not true. Yeah. Uh, you just sort of view this like their eyes turn off at some point, where it's clear they're just stop processing well, the arguments I, or stop actually, dealing with it. Actually, we're also blinkered. We blinker ourselves, you know, we three included, blinker ourselves to unattractive, unappealing, and, and otherwise, like, confrontational evidence when we hold other things dear. Yeah. So, like, 
the, the couple relationship is interesting. Oftentimes, I feel like presented with evidence of infidelity, mm. people, the first response is like, denial. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. I, that can't be true. This can't yeah. possibly be I mean, for a true. For a certain cohort of people, for, for others, uh, I, I, I think it all that, along. <laughs> well, sure, or, or for others, or for others, they, they're, they're sort of, uh, I guess they're more masochistic and, and actually want to understand how the world really works. And I think that there's, there's a certain cohort of people yeah. that, that, well, that, that I really, think, I think that that's a, yeah, there's, there's people have different proclivities. They have a much think, more fidelity think, to truth than they do their own personal issues. What, what you'll you know, do when people like it. I've, I've certainly talked to people after they had some bad breakup like this, and they usually tend to be extremely preoccupied with understanding what the other person had done, what they'd said that was true and wasn't yes, true. Yeah. You know, was he really on this trip or but have you was ever, he actually have you seeing ever, someone wait, else? Let me ask yeah. you something. Have you ever been deceived? I mean, we, we are deceived by our senses. We're deceived by, by other humans. We're deceived by evidence. We, well, it's yeah. hard to know. I, I've certainly had people lie to me before. Sure. But I only know that they lied to me because either they fessed up about it at some point later. Yeah. I, I haven't had too many experiences where I've run into some incontrovertible evidence that the person, like, you know, like the, the Shaggy song... She walked in on me, you right. know, banging this but, other girl, and I just said it wasn't yeah. there. But you, sorry, I meant more to take things like slightly more, to a more serious philosophical <laughs> level. Yeah. You, you, you admit if even though it may not have happened to you that it could happen that you could have. Oh, of course. Well, we, we we should, we, many times I've well, I, I, but I, I, I also by nature am extremely disagreeable, which means I hold very little sacred and very little do I take as like certain and likely true. Right. Uh, and so I'm, I'm maybe less likely to have those experiences, yeah. but I'm also... But for example, like you could imagine that that like you'd never learned anything beyond Newtonian physics, let's say. Yeah. And, and and that was just like this strange part of Greenwich, Connecticut that you're from where they just taught Newtonian physics yeah. because they were like, we just don't update the books. Yeah. It stays Newton is fact. They and then, afford to it. And then, yeah, yeah and exactly. The money was spent on, on gin and, and other beverages. And so they, yeah. then you get to college and all of a sudden, you you realize there's the the the, the Dewey Decimal shelf continues beyond Newton, and you're like, holy shit! There's a there, there it's a lot more complicated. Well, that is what and, it's like, in fact, to go to college. Yeah, like yeah. You, you. And, and so <laughs> then, and you yeah. had this experience where you sort of realize, wow, you know, the current understanding of like, let's say, you know, string theory is 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 feels very unstable and fictional. Mm -hmm. It reads a little bit like science fiction anyway. Mm -hmm. And and we're kind of like pending further discovery mm -hmm. we're, we're we have some better idea than than Newton mm -hmm. but we're also waiting for more better right. tools and better systems so that's the funny thing about science is is sort of counterintuitively they, they're excited by new information and by changing yeah. their heuristics well, but there is there is also the long saying that you know science moves forward either one funeral at a time or something like this right it's right like the people you know, who are particularly personally, reputationally invested yeah. in a certain thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tend to be the only ones who aren't always sure. excited by contradictions and new information or whatever. But sure. in general, the community is but that it, way. Right. But, you know, we're, we're always, uh, I guess, like, we're, we're deceived constantly. Our parents purposely deceived us into believing Lots in some things. fictional yeah. uh, thing that comes out of the sky and gives you my, gifts. My, my, brother, right? my brother to this day deeply resents my parents telling him that Santa Claus existed. Well, right. Well, uh, but, I don't. I would but, say that, but but that's your whole. The funny thing is, when, when you learn that Santa Claus doesn't exist, we come to terms with it very quickly, um, and we move on, right? We update our our well, our, our also software. Also, you're still getting gifts now. But the funny thing is, <laughs> but the funny thing is, but it's a nice smooth. <laughs> but outside of that, but you lose a lot of uh, a lot of the idealism and a lot of what was nice about you know that that whole fantasy that we that we've been sort of inculcated with. 
but with other things thereafter, right, um, that follow the same sort of pattern, right, like religion, for some reason, <laughs> it is a lot more difficult to let go of, which is why yeah. I think this is an interesting, I agree. interesting to have you I think, here, I think, having, having lived that experience. Yeah, no, I will tell you this. I think it's under-documented and under-reported how personally difficult it can be to, to, to extricate yourself from the worldview. And I think, I think we look today, there are a lot of deprogramming pod, podcasts that interview radical terrorists, for example, that, that have been deprogrammed to talk a little bit about like leaving a cult or like that is, there's a bit of worldview there, but it doesn't go into metaphysics. It's more about like the culture and the community and how you felt like you had friends. It's like, gro- like almost like a grooming well, experience. Well, so, so how do you feel? I mean, I, these guys were around when you were going through your experience. How do you feel about the quote, new atheists yeah. and people like Richard Dawkins yeah. and Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris? I think, and yeah, I, 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 I respect them. I mean, I think they're, I think they, they, uh, I think they do a service. They, they're unfortunately, um, they're different, obviously. Um, I think I think Hitchens um, is probably the most like philosophically informed. Uh, I think Dawkins is like going deep on the evolution thing, and it gets very he, can, he, he creates an, an opportunity to be attacked for specifics, yeah. which is unfortunate because it's like people then you know, less nuanced view. Yeah, I think then, then yeah. he gets discredited because of some. Well, he's he's a, he's a bit dogmatic. He 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 has a lot of skin in the game for a lot of claims that he made that right. were real claims. And it's very but, commercial. But, he has yeah. a very commercial, I mean, you can tell what he's trying to do, yeah. but, but really yeah. what's, what's interesting when, when you look at somebody who's sort of becomes divorced from this, from this preconceived worldview, yeah. I guess, what are you actually, what really changed, right? You didn't, you believed in evolution simultaneously. You right. were an educated person. Right. Um, you probably didn't believe in, in, in sort of the, a lot of the core tenets of, of religion. You probably arrived at your own moral imperatives independently, which is what most smart people do. Well, how, right. How, how, so what did, what really yeah, changed? I mean, what I, does it mean I'll say, to, I'll, I'll, I'll you know? I, I can tell you, I, you know, I had, um, there, there, I would say there are like consequences of the, of the religious commitment, existential religious commitment. So a lot of the pro, pro, things were proscribed. Like I felt, you know, promiscuity was proscribed. So sexual, there was a, there were prohibitions on certain behavior. I think there were policy and political implications to religious commitment. So I, I was conservative. I, I, I met, I volunteered for the Cuyahoga County Republican Party and wrote my essay. My essay to get into college was about attending the Republican National Convention in 2000 and simultaneously working on local politics. I met George Bush when he was a, a candidate in 2000. So I was I was like a compassionate conservative in uh, in 2000. That's voted for, voted for George Bush, and um, and then by 2003 I was marching against the uh, my hair was long and I was marching again. I was at, at college and marched against the invasion of Iraq. So it's a, in, in span of three or four years, I went from a kind of. Do you think you have a proclivity to such extremes? No. Like like there's there's a. I can't remember the guy's name now, but there's a, I certainly wouldn't lump you into, into this category, but maybe just exploring whether mm-hmm. you think you have a lesser version of this. There's this guy who was, uh, let's say, a notable white supremacist for a while. <laughs> and uh, Can I start, right, in case people tune out after this, I have, <laughs> I have nothing to do with this Just like you, <laughs> <laughs> Um No, and, 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 and so he then decided to have a radical swing and went from being, you know, a purported white supremacist mm-hmm. to being, you know, a card-carrying anti-or uh, 
what's that, what's that uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, you yeah. know, poster boy who would just embody an equally radical and ridiculous. Like the absolute value is the view. same, but yes. the but this side of the yes. and he, he just side decided, of zero changes. And, and frankly, the guy seems to have a rather like pathological personality. Yeah. And uh, no, I think I went. I think what I would say politically is that I went from like a pretty moderate Republican to a kind of pretty mo- moderate progressive. So yeah. it was. It wasn't. But you still. But you still sought to have like you still maybe. Felt drawn to political issues, let's say. Yeah, like you weren't true. you weren't agnostic. That's true. Uh, no, that's or, true. or neutral or yeah. indifferent. Well, I think I care about politics. I, I was really interested in European. That's, that's interesting. European Sorry. Union. Yeah. No. I mean, I, <laughs> I was. I think. I think. I think that's what happens. With, so, if, if, let's say I was really interested in art. I think I might have gone from like an obsession with religious or sacred art to like to secular, you know, neoclassicism, yeah. Renaissance. Yeah. Like I, you know, I think whatever you're interested in. Religions. That's that's what's so interesting about it is it's like it saturates a worldview and creates. Uh, it's got something for everybody. Yeah. Well, it's your individual your individuality. You see the world through its lens, and so when you have it, you know you you have all this purpose. The biggest thing for me, you know, to to get at the heart of your question is what I lost was a, a, a specific narcissistic, I would say, uh, sense of. Of, of purpose or mission like I, I I had to then do a lot of things on my own that were that were assisted by exogenous you know I had to go you had, from you exogenous had to become the ubermensch you had to define your own ethics yeah I had to it, had to, be, it had to be endogenous it had to be mine and right. and and that and that's challenging and it, and it's, it definitely I would say protracted my um, adolescence you know I think there are a lot of so you sort of fell into deep hedonism. Yeah, like I, I often tell my therapist that, like, there, you know, Kierkegaard, I, so I ended up writing on, I, though I was in the study of religion, I was really interested in the philosophy of religion, which is a kind of, you know, subsection of the history of philosophy, where philosophers like Hegel and others, Schleiermacher and, and some, some other 19th century sure. philosophers, like, looked at religion philosophically and started making arguments about whether, because they were also... You know, trying to square a circle, right? Like they had religious beliefs, but they were also writing secular philosophy. And in the history of philosophy, it's only in the 20th century that you have non-believers writing it. You know, even Kant and others. I mean, these people had. Well, had they, there, there's certainly debate about the degree to which people who profess to be believers were actually yeah. believers in the past. Sure, well, I know, and you even have like rational, so like you, have, you know, Descartes and others have like really interesting views on religion. I think Pascal. You know, had a cynical or sort of like, you know, proto-modern. I mean, I can't believe religion. Pascal was dumb enough. To Re- think religion, that Pascal's yeah. major wasn't. I don't think yeah. religiosity had a lot of purchase back then, right? Well, like, was, like I mean, if you're Newton, it, right, and you're like, okay, if I just somehow involve religion, religion and God into this, yeah. I will get a lot of free money. I that's where your grants came from yeah. back then. But right? I think it's different than the physics. Phys- I think when you look at the history of physics, you probably have a higher preponderance of. People who today we would just say they're agnostic or atheists because they were like working in the natural world, mm-hmm. and and but, I mean you Darwin had religious belief, you know, like in the, in the non-hard sciences, philosophy included, you had there were religious sides to them. And so like you know, I'm not an expert, I'm not a professional philosopher, but I can say that like Kierkegaard was what I was very drawn to because he he seemed to struggle fundamentally with the with with maintaining some religious commitment or like a, a almost like a religious sentimentality. But also, like deeply invent, he invented a lot of the modern subjectivity, a way of managing subjectivity philosophically that influenced the twentieth century. So, like, the, I think the discovery of Kierkegaard in the in the in France in the twenties is what is credited often with like the birth of French existentialism. And and well, anyhow, I ended up writing on his dis, his own dissertation 
called the concept of irony, which is Kierkegaard's look at Socrates as Socrates as like a way of life. His his um, irony as a way of life. Socrates is a way of life. Yeah, like this was Kierkegaard's, Kierkegaard's study of Socrates was was called the concept of irony, okay. and, that, and the notion was that, and this was this was like bound up in some very personal things as well. Was this notion that you could live ironically, which which meant fundamentally that you like maybe didn't mean um, well. It, it's unclear. Like you were living in this sort of like the mode of the modality of Socrates is like gadfly and like truth truth by midwifery was like you ask the questions. You don't mean the questions you mean to sort of give rise to the answers in others. Like Socrates, that the well, you're trying to create logic systems, right? Is, is, yeah. Is that not? So, what, I, so, I'm not well, so familiar with this this work, and yeah. so I'm just kind of curious. What do you say that, that it was? It was uh, so your detachment from religion uh, sort of afforded you a sense of autonomy, right? Yeah, Which was right. disorienting, and right. and and you and that was really kind of what was difficult about. That's well said. Yeah, and but I was saying I I also tried on I tried on different sort of worldviews. I was like really attracted to this idea of living ironically, which meant to me like you could kind of st- not not that you stood for nothing, but that you were just an, you were like a, a, a constant, a constantly in in an inquiring mode. You, you ever read David Foster Wallace's criticism on irony? He was a big uh, anti-irony guy. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. Is it non? It's nonfiction. Well, no, the title <laughs> is not criticism on irony, but it, uh... <laughs> is it uh, is it a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again? I, I think um, I think he touched on it in a lot of different things, but yeah. probably in that. I think he deeply understood irony. I yeah. don't. I, I, I think, I think yeah. he did, but but I, I really liked his criticism of it because I think the big issue I have I, I share maybe about irony, and I'm curious how yeah. you come out of it after living an ironic life. <laughs> uh, is it's just an easy escape uh-huh. for it, it? It sort of lets you avoid accountability or or deep conviction in anything you do because you can always post hoc. Dodge, sure. And be like, well, I was ironic here, I but not here, it. and it's yeah, yeah, it's just like a, it's a, it's an like easy a, out. Like it's, a, a, it's a, it's a yeah. system that allows for uh, maybe lack. It's a of useful meme, not 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 too different from from from, uh, from religion, well, I, right? It's I, it's a way of justifying. I would say uh, we, anything, we, right? Which per, perfectly tees up the the question I have for you about our ironist in, in chief, mm. uh, which is the. Um, you think Trump is ironic? I think he is. A, I think he's maybe. The, the the most perfect encapsulation of an ironic uh, worldview. Well, if his he is, ten, that means he's a genius. His ten second. Um, to be honest, his, I mean, it really it would it would, subject of this it would podcast thoroughly or, codify like he's, him he's, as he's as, as trolling. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's fundamentally amazing. Like he, he he changes his mind. He changes what he says. He lives in ten minute increments, and that there's. I mean, a, I think he is a troll. He's a, he's an expert troll. Yeah. Among other things. Right. I, I think that it's it's more directed than just living in irony, though. Uh, and that I think he has very well, specific he, agendas. He, he's detached from truth claims uh, fundamentally. Like he does, he's not interested in in rigorous epistemological relationships with the world. Yeah, he's, he's, he's enjoys, much more. He's much more. Uh, he's a lot looser. Negotiated <laughs> power guy. Well, he enjoys, so I think what, what I, why I consider that an ironic worldview or like an ironic way of life <laughs> is that it, it he he he's it, he lives without a strict relationship between like. Utterance and meaning, or truth and he's definitely and, a vague, a vague pattern kind of guy, as yeah. opposed to a mathematical proof kind of guy. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, he's certainly unprincipled in in his <laughs> in his way of thinking. Sure, right? but he loves. Well, I don't know. If I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think he seems to be a quite principled person. Like he. he what is his principle? I mean, what are he lives by? Yeah. How how would he, he lives you, by self-aggrandizement I, and 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 uh, maximization of 
certain well one of his no one of his principles I wouldn't disagree is to be elected yeah to be able to sit in the chair that he sits in right now and in the future or whatever yeah. else to 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 like to succeed in in power seeking um, but then I also think that unlike I, I would actually reduce mm-hmm. most politicians to only that. And I actually might say that Trump has like a little bit more ambition beyond just purely sitting in the seat. He Which, seems to have very specific ideas uh-huh. for the direction of what America should be like, let's say, right. versus yeah. what it's been in the past. He's, he's derived those views, I think, largely by channeling the voice of the masses that he's like. I think he's the kind of guy who, who has perceived a strong demand for something, has sure. encapsulated that into something yeah. from, the, from the masses. Which and is, is what, trying, is, to, and is history, trying to actually move yeah. things in some direction. There are some uh, some constants in his beliefs, right? Well, I, I think uh, so. I, think which I actually, he, I switches actually, parties. You know, he's enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. He's enjoyed it, it, a kind of fluidity. He's been xenophobic, I would say, for a long time, and I actually don't even think that the brand of xenophobia that he exhibits is is as bad as people make it out to well, be. Well, I, I, um, I take issue with the term xenophobia too. Sure, he's maybe that's maybe that's not that's, as much a fan of foreign countries as others. Yes, which yes. Doesn't, when I say xenophobic, I mean I actually think his. But he enjoys he enjoys creating he. He, he's he, a nationalist. He, he's a nationalist, yeah. but he definitely. So, so we can define. I love um, this friend named Luke who likes to define terms before we debate them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The the xenophobia uh, that he exhibits is to me a part of a political mechanism for uh, finding subscribers uh, and and fans who will support and vote for him or attend his rallies. Well, so, so, so just to clarify what I think you're saying, you're saying that while he may or may not be xenophobic, yeah. many of his constituents are. Pathologically xenophobic. Pathologically, I don't know, but they—they. They, well, I don't. They I don't. I don't like the terms Islamophobia or xenophobia or yeah. whatever else because they, they're specifically yeah. psychological, well, pathological terms that yeah. imply irrationality. Yeah. Like, well, agoraphobia. You're right. You're uh, right. I, and, I, and, I, and I think it's better. I, I like to the point of defining terms. Yeah. I think it's better to just say uh, he doesn't like foreign countries that much. Right. Yeah. That's a. That's but a. Why? That's a. But why? Well, because I think he believes that our specific. I mean, why is he so? And by the way, by the way, as an an American, he doesn't believe that all of these specific myths and stories that we tell about the the uh, let's say shared uh, shared crusade that all countries are on together, the shared interests that all countries allegedly have, you know, to gain by by. All cooperating in a certain way. He just he has a different view on, yeah. on the way that maximizes his country's interests. He also says things. But that... by the way, he, as a businessman, and, and I, I think I, I do take issue with his success as a businessman. Mm. But you do see that uh, it is a, a, a unfortunately a zero sum game in many cases, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and M- many games at least are zero sum. Yes, and in and, and, and in the world as as it stands today, I think it would be a little bit naive to assume. Um, look at our, our contribution to all of these various sort of uh, worldly organizations like the UN and and, uh, and NATO, for instance, right? It costs um, money. It, it costs money, um, and we contribute far more than we should. But and there's we self-interest can... at play there. We as a nation really do benefit. From but but it's but really it's, 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 worth updating, it's worth updating how much we think the, the cost-benefit yeah. is trading off. I'm not sure that that's inappropriate i think it's I, I defer to the experts and trump isn't one of them on whether we benefit from does trump really know do you really think that he goes to sleep at night and knows what we get from nato i well, don't i don't i think he doesn't care i think he, I, I think he I, I think he just cares that we pay more than we pay more than our share is it more than fundamentally how do you talk about a good use of metrics yeah is it a per capita thing is it a is it a per per like 
you know, as a taxpayer person, I, I, I don't know. Here's, here's, I actually here's, don't here's, 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 here's it's never been presented in a nuanced fashion. Here's how I think of it. I think Trump is a fan of zero based budgeting. I think if you're not familiar, our audience may not be familiar with that term in business. Zero based budgeting is having to decide that every year, every single line item, more or less that your business is spending money on, you have to justify, justify. right? You have to the three G model. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, not in all businesses, but in many businesses, it's a tremendous cost-saving measure sure. because it turns out that there's all kinds of momentum and reasons, yeah. including ones that seem to be coming from the right place and including you know, prescriptions made by people who should be the best expert yep. on whether you need to spend money on something okay. all right. that, 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 so the, that the keep... Fast forward, the yeah. wall versus NATO. Like I, I yeah. literally don't know. I, would, I don't know, but I would like to know from an expert, yeah. um, a nonpartisan sort of like objective analyst, whether you have to are, realize there's no such thing as that. You are. And, and, no, and, you are that. No, no, I don't purport the, to be. The best way to couch this, you I, love I, I, data. I, I, I'm a You're in my phone as Luke Cherry. Picking no, but, but but I think the best way to couch this discussion is to say, <laughs> do question? you believe? Do you yeah. believe in in, in uh, meritocratic <laughs> uh, selection in in, uh, in in migrants? Right. Um, so, like, do, do you guys think that our immigration policy should have a meritocratic bent or not? I, or do you I, think we should I, have borders? I, but no, I fundamentally believe that it should be both meritocratic and also there should be res reserves for asylum because we as a nation have, have offered sure, that. I think everyone, I think everyone yeah, agrees so, with that. There's well, benefits, actually, there's benefits politically to offering yeah, asylum to some people. Immigration, sure. as far as I'm concerned, I think, it's the, I think it's just the sad wedge that is unfortunate in the, it's just very useful in the political, like electoral discourse. Um, but it's actually something that the left and right could agree on very quickly. I, I think immigration well, is well, well, a lot simpler but, but, and a lot But, but this is where I think faster. the disagreement lies. I don't actually think the left and the right disagree that much right. on actual outcomes no, of what it really, what what, uh, what our immigration yeah. policy should be. Right. Where I think the disagreement arises and what Trump has best catalyzed is Trump doesn't believe our national myths. And the left does. And the left is trying... About well, whether it's the American dream or or diversity is our strength, or immigrants are are you know always a positive to our economy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or or yeah. There, there are many. There you, are many, had many you had me in diversity. One so one, <laughs> one question. Just one. The one question I was going to ask you is yeah. I I what I would like some some more information on and maybe some yeah. listeners. I, both both of our listeners could write in and share uh, you know some links to articles. <laughs> But it, 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 it strikes me that it would be really fun to know whether the the like contribution to NATO yeah. or the the what we just pilfered from the from the federal um, the military budget yeah. to pay for the wall, yeah. uh, which is you know this sort of obvious crass move pre twenty twenty fulfill a campaign promise. I would like to know what actually increases national security, and I don't. I literally. I'm open well, to I don't the think answer. the wall is about national security. It's no, about I know. the economy. Right. But I but I understand I also I just would like to know like if the claim was that it, it, it the claim is about security. That's secure a, our borders. I mean one of the, the many of the claims secure are the, our borders means make them uh, resistant to illegal uh, uh, entry. Yeah. But, that's but, what the claim but, means. It's not a militaristic sure. claim. It's not a it, it, there's there's a degree of national security rhetoric yeah. that's there. And sure. frankly, even if I don't, I don't know Trump to do this, but if he does, maybe he does, solely claim it's a national security issue, that wouldn't actually mean it's a national security issue. No, he issue. claims, he, he's, you know, in the campaign in, 20, in 2016, he referred, he refers to immigrants 
you know, he's on record saying that they're rapists, that they're murderers, and that they, that, you know, that they're criminals. Do you, do you, do you, do you, do you enjoy, like, the, uh, the, the... I actually think there's a lot more disagreement between the left and the right here than you guys are making out to be. So, so I think that if you look at most Silicon Valley, most of the people from India who come here to get their damn PhDs and then go start companies vote Republican. That's, that's a, I, I bet you, um, if, if, if we... I actually, I actually don't know if that's the case. Really? Yeah. I, it, well, maybe it's anecdotally that's, that's what I've well, come to believe. Well, when they're here, they, they, yes, they, they because them. yes, because because they work really hard, then they have to pay taxes, and they live in California. Certainly, the ones and who own businesses make, vote Republican. Yes, but I think the ones who are employed as engineers in big tech companies do not. Hmm. Well, that's think, because they're part the of this mafia them, that they have to that they yes. have to subscribe to. Yes, but I think the bulk of them fit in. Like most people yeah. are entrepreneurs. Let's um, go back to this diversity is our strength thing. No, no, but just I want I want I want to really quickly just like make my point about Trump. Because I think this is where like people talk past each other when trying to evaluate him and or mm-hmm. you know what he's doing. Yep. Uh, I think Trump is a myth destroyer. Okay. I think that even even if I think I think the function of a myth destroyer is essential for any society to maintain healthy myths. Myths are always useful. They're not always. It's always very important to have some degree of simplified heuristics mm-hmm. so that you can communicate really complex, nuanced ideas. And get people to join and armies. Or just get, well, get people to join armies, get people to coordinate their behavior in some way. Yeah. You need lots of myths. Sure. And, and myths. to coerce a sense of community and, and, and identity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know so, if coerce is the right word, but it kind yeah, of is. It is, it is. <laughs> Uh, Yuval Harari talks about this whole notion of like shared myths and, mm-hmm. and I think he's, he's very spot on about it. Um, but because myths aren't exact perfect representations of reality, right. if only by Our virtue of needing to not. be simple. Yeah. <laughs> um, just stories in general are never, sure. are never, we, we, don't, we don't have the time and language to fully describe almost anything. Um, sometimes they're... Uh, simplifications get out of date. Sometimes they become not the simplest, most effective way to describe things. Mm-hmm. And even if you think, and you may well be correct, that Trump is far from, any president is far from the best, foremost expert on any given issue right. to actually be assessing the pros and cons perfectly. But a major function, at least in this time, of a leader, I think, is to, if you can if you can disassemble the most incorrect myths mm. or the ones that are, are most discordant with the reality that we need to understand, then that actually frees up experts and Potentially. others Potentially. to, to, yeah. to evaluate I, truth claims in a different I'd way. I'd like to check in and I'd like to check, I'll join your podcast in a few years and we can check in on how well, like who's benefited from this dismantling of the myths. I worry. Well, that, what do you think? What, what do you, what well, do you, I, I think right? my anxiety, my anxiety is that a little bit is good and a lot may be bad. And mm-hmm. so I think it's perfect though. It's perfectly okay to kind of, see a Trump-like figure having, there's some, I believe, a lot of value in like disrupting the, um, the sort of tired ways of Washington. And mm-hmm. I like that. I've always appreciated that about Trump. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually kind of healthy to get an outsider in and, and sort of smash and, a lot and, and, of And it's hard, it's hard and rare, too. Yeah, to totally agree. Yeah. I think that, I think that unfortunately, you don't get, you don't get to have a Trump figure in the White House without a lot of other risky things like a non-expert kind of definitely a risk yeah definitely a risk nobody no i don't think anybody would at least anyone honest would say that there's not a risk to what trump's doing yeah but the difference i think is just well you have you have one party that says the risk reward trade-off is worth it in this direction you have another that says it's not and then you have a third largest party which says orange man bad 
Uh, he's a bad person. Uh, yeah. And it's funny that, that Jer- Jeremy has not fallen under that category at all. There, no, you, no you I don't think you're you well, well, no, but you, 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 you speak the memes a little bit sometimes. Well, I, mean, Tr- I didn't say that Tr- Trump did say that Mexican immigrants. Yes, but that's also a, a quite dishonest representation. Yeah, he said of it. The full he's, specter of the, sure, fine. He said a lot of things. He's, he, it's my point as an ironist. He said some of them might be fine people. He said on both sides. He. He will use his use of language as an Trump, irony. Trump, Trump, Trump is, is a is, rhetorician is, par excellence. Yeah, <laughs> I, and and he's obviously speaking to constituents sure. with language like that. Yeah, he's signaling something. Obviously, no one in America. I, I actually think literally zero people in America think that everyone in Mexico is a rapist. Right. I think that that's that's not an actual. I believe. I believe there political are. No, I believe there are people who voted for Trump and there are Trump supporters today uh-huh. that believe that have a non-factual basis. For saying that they may overrepresent the risk. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Right. And they're, they're, they have a that, that's what we mean by phobia. When we talk about xenophobia. Yes. We we let's we can use a different term, which is just to say they have a, a, a set of assumptions about immigrants or about a specific set set of immigrants from specific places that isn't true. Yeah. Which is to say that there's like that they're more criminal or that they are rapists, etc. Well, those things are true. They but are more true. criminal. As, as a, sure, yeah. it's also true. It's true of, of a lot of. Non-immigrants, of course, but we're so, talking as, about the issue of illegal yeah, immigrants, I, I know. and they're more likely criminal. As a card-carrying, like not non-controversial statement, right. I would think. I, I'm not sure that we then, from there, can conclude much about immigration policy. I don't. I, it's I think, one data point among many. Right. But but what it's more important. This is what I'm trying to get at. We're not trying to, and what Trump's doing with said rhetoric, and like what he's doing in general, is not actually like trying to derive immigration policy so much as he's trying to smash a certain myth yeah which is the like diversity is our strength as a myth it is saying that always in all significant contexts diversity is a plus and by the way i can see that you subscribe to that belief so first of all first of all it's a um so uh because you're sort of a card-carrying leftist i guess right uh i I would say which prejudices right Precisely. Well, 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 Do you think I, I, I this know, this I, Trumpian sort of uh, dispelling of, of of certain myths that we take for granted, um, but like how what, what does it expose on the left that you particularly dislike? Hmm. Some some sort of biases or, or beliefs on the left that he's exposed and maybe he's hyperbolized, right? Yeah. And and that that you think um, were particularly pernicious to, to begin with. Good, good question. How do you agree with them? I mean, no, I, I, I'd have to do... <laughs> I'd, you a Trump straw for that. I'd have to do... That's a better way I'd of like asking to take the a, question. I'd like, to take, I'd like to take a commercial break as I sip from a, a Trump straw. Maybe uh, mine is plastic. It, what's amazing is it... it Made it, in America, by the way. The straw way. doesn't degrade by the end of the beverage. So I'm able to sit here and talk and talk and, you know, 45 minutes later, I can sip from my and drink. And the turtle that will be drinking from it through its nose will also... Save be, the turtle. happy about that, yeah. Um, I, I think there's a range of um, ways of answering your question. I, I can't speak for broadly for the, the left, but they're... No, you they're, personally they're, don't. They're, 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 I'll give you an example. I, I think that the um, way that he talks about uh, other nations, you, can, you could say that... I think the charitable phrasing is that he doesn't. He's not a fan of globalization, or he's not a fan of other nations. He doesn't yeah. like traveling. He's kind of that's not his thing. He likes yeah, his openness is probably not very high. Right. I I think that that's in my personal experience um, consistent with a a, a, a low um, narrow and and kind of sad engagement with the world. Some of the 
well, maybe it's sad to you. So I, right, and it's his personal. But, it's very but, personal. but that's a very I, personal. Yeah, I'm saying I, I. So diversity. It's probably not sad to him, for example. I don't think he feels sad about how he is. I agree, and and yet what I'm saying is like I some of the ha the happiest and like richest experiences of my life have involved cultural difference, and and and, well, and quite well, simply, I know it takes it takes means to be able to travel, and you know, sixty percent of Americans apparently don't have a valid passport. Um, that's that. Is, is to me an outcome whereas if you look at like Europe for example where you have a lot of um, national identity but you also have a lot of international exchange it's a lot easier through rail travel to move these, around these, countries these, these are very subjective values so right. I, yeah. I, but I we asked how do you agree with him yeah. or what does he expose on the left what does he expose on the left what does he unveiled on the left that you're like wow that, that that's actually pretty fucked has, up has he, broke, has, has he confronted any memes that you also think are, are, are sorry myths that you think the same thing memes and myths are the same yes has he confronted Sorry, any that you give you an example of what, like, what would be an answer? What's a potential answer here? Where you're sort of saying, like, he came and he smashed up like the deep state Bannon's version of how government works. Not, not a myth that I that's been helpful to me personally. Uh -huh. Like, I do believe there are bureaucracies. I think they're inefficient, but I don't. But nobody really had the myth that government was perfect and efficient. Or right. So I'm not sure. That's I'm not, not quite really sure. Like, so you're saying he? he what do you are, like, are actually there, there, do I agree are, with? What do you agree with? What do you agree with that is in contravention? Of your fellow classmates at Harvard who now attend uh, feminist rallies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm confused by the question. Like, there, well, an you, example you, would you be what? Like, well, like you, you acknowledge that there's some value in him smashing myths. Yeah. But we're just asking for a specific. I think idea. I would say that like I think some dip, some specific diplomatic strategy is is ossified or like you know completely stale like engagement yeah. with North Korea. Yeah. I think it was. I think it's interesting, high risk and and quite. It's sort of exciting to see what happens with with his 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 approach to diplomacy is very much individual based. It's relationship based. Yes. Everyone's my friend. If you're my friend or you're not. Yeah. And I, I actually think that states kind of opposed to very rule based. Yeah, and I, I think like, by we, the way, we it's, worked, it's worked phenomenally well. Like everybody has to credit him with the fact that he is the only person who's engaged with North Korea right, but, by picking well, up the I fucking think, phone think, and calling the. Jury. But the jury's out. The jury's out. There's still they've resumed nuclear testing and or what have you. It's all very confusing. We don't really have good information. They've resumed military, you know, operations that they said they'd pause. I think the experts that I've read and believe have said that it's like it so far hasn't worked. But it was something that I actually, I personally think could have worked and might still. And I and I think that like I that's one thing that I don't. I admire about him. I think broaden the possible strategy space. But I think I, I wish he had a bigger least. tent. Like I actually think I wish I wish he was I wish he was a little bit more pious uh, with the foreign policy establishment. And instead of and I wish what I wish he what would do you mean do, by that? Like, I wish he would. What I wish he would do? Rules. What I wish he would do is like open. Well, no, I wish he would open the tent instead of dismissing everybody and not listening and not engaging. I think it would be great for him to reach to just say. We that probably goes goal. both ways. We have this fair. I'm sure. Yeah, there are lots of. But being respected by despots is not the worst thing in the world, right? Like like. You know, Kim Jong Un does not consult his government when he does anything, no, right? Yeah. And he actually kind of respects that. And, and that sounds that sounds that sounds terrible. Um, that, but but at the same time, uh, sort of ironically, uh, that type of respect I think is is, is greatly yeah, beneficial yeah. to but, our it, to our, are, our country. Of, the, the stakes are really high with Iran, with Syria, with North Korea. I, I think it would be nice if it would a Trump-like figure who who's not a political. Uh, professional political person uh, or a bureaucrat could come in and kind of take that swagger and produce real outcomes that were... But, but, but I'd agree with that. that. I'd agree with that. But I, I take issue. With, I, I, don't, I don't really think you could do what Trump's doing without all the other baggage that comes with it. 
I think as soon as you start violating myths, if I if I went and got elected president and started saying my goal is to just like knock down these myths that I think are really bad, I think I would get hated as quickly. I'd either have to really cut back and, and only change a tiny number of small things, or if I wanted to try and really, well, I think Trump, but you would be much more articulate. Well, I think what he's saying Trump is if you, if you had a guy who was more articulate. Who, who my, my was, articulation was, was, doesn't necessarily helpful with the broader voter base. I, my worry about Trump is that I'm not sure he has. It Maybe not, but it would help with us. <laughs> it's not clear that Trump's project. If Trump really wanted to, is it smashing myths enough a problem no, of a project? That, that's a project, but it should be to an end. Should be means to an end, and not an end unto itself. It and my, more more effective myth, like a better a better like fundamental framework for viewing the world that we can now but, you know, like he, operate. He's not a pro-science, but you're a very scientific I don't person. Think he, I he don't doesn't think, embrace science. I don't think he's a good he person at, at creating I mean, new myths, but he's yeah. really good at destroying Wouldn't it be great if he said, you know, I mean, there's a lot of religion in, in American government still. Wouldn't it be amazing if he said, wouldn't you love it if he said, you know what, I don't, I, I this whole, like, sort of theocratic bent in America is is, is a mistake. And we should be objective about our politics and separate church from state and fundamentally not make belief in God a prerequisite for holding office in this country. Yeah, I mean, I so, think that's so wouldn't great, that be a fun, but at the be, same time, Trump doesn't do that. I mean, you must be profoundly disappointed in Trump. No, because I want him to get elected. But, but he, 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 you can't, you his can't concession, do everything at once. No, but fair, but his concessions to the uh, radical, what is clearly a radical group of religious people, climate change denying, you, you know, evangelicals. Is repugnant must really keep you up at night, in my view. No, how not can, really. How can you sleep? There are at many night? groups that every president, including Trump, uh, pays homage to, pays tribute to, uh, that I find that tribute. <laughs> I, I find many, many groups repugnant. I find their interests to be highly at odds with mine and with the country's writ large. Right. But I accept that, that one has to. If you're gonna if you're gonna play in the big boys league, yeah. You have to not be an idealist. You have to you have to act pragmatically. But actually, so. One thing I wanted to like bring this conversation full circle a little sure. bit about. Um, I think that the the figure that Trump bears a lot of resemblance to hmm. uh, that we talked about before the figures are these radical atheists, hmm. which is you know I actually my, my journey in like religion. Yeah, what is uh, your journey in religion for the record? Well, I was never particularly re particularly religious, but none of my family identified as being atheists growing up. We identified as being Protestant Episcopalians. Uh, and just kind of weren't practicing, and that always jabbed me and made me feel. I, I just felt like this is really silly. We're pretending like God has like some authority, and yet like not actually paying attention to anything he says. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, that seems the worst of both worlds in terms of like intellectual honesty. Right. And that was what started me from a like very young age, just just feeling like this stuff was all kind of ridiculous. But mm -hmm. By the time of college, I actually became a really big fan of these radical atheists um, because they were these really controversial, direct, confrontational yeah. figures yeah. who tried to, I mean... But they had commitments, though. I mean, I guess the difference for me is Dawkins believes, in, as we pretty seem to agree, the little we agree on, that science doesn't have all the answers, but it will one day. It's sort of like a, a scientism. And I think the problem with Trump is, like, it would really be nice to hear... I would love an iconoclastic yeah. president who's, like, cherry-picking... From all the political spectrum and, jump, think, and, and jumping in, like I'll run, your, I'll run government like a business, more efficient. You know, I'll, I'll, we won't spend a dime if we don't have a return on investment. Great, this is all fine. But but Trump's I think that's pretty Trump, right? close but, to Trump's but, rhetoric. Yeah, fair. That's his rhetoric. I think his actions. He he, he seems to be a very poor administrator. He seems to really have a, a hard I, I time. Hear, I hear that hard a lot from people in the administration. Hard time running. Hard time running. The just a small group of people getting a degree. 
tough job, but he doesn't seem to be doing that well at it. And it would be really nice instead of hearing him say non-scientific things, mm. or dismiss, he's very dismissive of the scientific establishment, he'd, be, he'd help to defund NIH. It would be nice, I, I think it would be really great to have a new atheist president. Well, but think, that will, hopefully that, that, that'll... Trump paved the road ho hopefully, for that? I think Trump has paved the road for that. I honestly think he's, we'll check back he in. has uh, sort of uh, inspired I, I a political revolution in this country, yeah. whereby like we're all talking about politics again, which is really interesting, and it, and it was sort of dormant for a long time. Yeah. We, um, he, he's absolutely the catalyst for this yes. discussion right now. Yes. And, and the discussion and the intelligent discussion of many important issues by people other than him, but but allowed and enabled by this like myth breaking, I think. Yeah. And and so to the same point, my, my full religious experience, I went from being, you know, kind of religion is silly to then really prescribing to a rather radical atheist, hmm. like everything about religion is bad kind of view, because I really appreciate like I thought there were very good arguments made yeah. about totally smashing all these things. Right. And now later in my life have I reconstructed many values that I see in religion. Mm -hmm. I have a very much more nuanced view on it. Mm -hmm. I now view religion through all kinds of angles of its value, yeah. even though I don't particularly have any difference. Like, I, I still don't believe any of its truth claims that that, that discord mm -hmm. with reality well, and that's materialism. You can have religion. But you can sympathize with it. But and I the funny thing is, and, and the I can same now thing happened to me. reconstruct a very nuanced view that yep. allows the modern reality and what we understand about the universe and religion as well, and I feel like they can be... But, but I couldn't... I don't we, know that I could have gotten there, or, or maybe I would, but I think without many, dismissing many, everything, many without cleaning the palate, yes, yes, with the aggressive ridiculing, yes, cleanse, yes, deconstruct all these myths you have. I think it's a big part of of like the destructive creative cycle. Yeah. is you have to just bash things because as soon as you start saying like, well, maybe religion's not that great, and like maybe you know it is hard to make these truth claims, but it's really valuable. People don't really update. They don't really have radical rethinkings or reframings of. of mm -hmm. And you see that you've seen that same pattern with with uh, a, a lot of you know sort of uh, human related cycles, right? Um, economic cycles, innovation doesn't come uh, unless usually innovation comes from destruction, right? Yeah. Um, growth comes from from a period of destruction, right? It helps um, for companies to go bankrupt that yes. are that are then replaced by other companies. Yes, sure. yes. Yeah. I believe in some some creative destruction. I, I I don't know that we should do it with high human cost. I think it would be nice if it was there was an actual plan, like a battle plan. In other words, if we sort of said we our plan, for example, is like like engage with in, in there's there's cyber warfare going on. You know, Russia and others other state actors are in, are are conducting what could be construed as acts of war mm -hmm. um, in in cyberspace. Do you, do you really think that the Russians in any way assisted Trump's pre uh, Trump getting elected? Do you, do you genuinely believe like that? Like meaningfully impacted. Yeah, that's meaningfully right. impacted. That's right. I didn't. I don't. I don't want to answer that on the record. I will. I will. I have personal, uh, professional uh, knowledge matters, of the matter. matters at stake. I will say that no. I, I will say that I. I believe the the public record is pretty clear in the Mueller report and elsewhere that they Russia, interfere. That Russia interfered. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that none of us disagree with. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So let's just leave it at that. I, it'd be nice. Then well, but what's what's interesting? I, is no, no. Not interesting that speculation. Yeah. What's interesting? Sure. Is, counterfactual is, speculations to fund you know hobby and, and yeah, not counterfactuals. Just how much did it contribute? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. Know. I, I think it contributed some. I think a lot of people. But that's a non-statement. It's like non-falsifiable statement. Of course, it contributed. So what do you some. think? I think it was probably very minimal. Okay. I think it was insignificant. I think it was I think totally it insignificant. Let's, let's put it this I, way. I don't, we're I don't not think the election enough. would have gone a different way in complete absentia. I, I, I don't disagree. I will say this though: the the but the response in the current administration is is inadequate. Uh, we are not, in my view, responding to to a state action state action like that with commensurate 
seriousness. It's very tricky. It's very tricky to define how to deal with. Well, well, here's one thing. Just as a like computer scientist, uh, or from from the people I've talked to in in said intelligence community, yeah, a lot of the things that the U.S. does sure. to let's say retaliate on these kinds Aren't of cyber public. attacks are not public. Yeah, uh, they're well known by our the leadership of our adversaries. Let's say, but yeah. a big part of like cyber warfare in general is. It, it's not a public uh, attack. It's not something where you're like, hey, guess what? We just we compromised this, yeah. your like NSA. That cool dude, virus you put, remember that cool virus we put in the... Stuxnet. In the, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. But Stuxnet was not published. It was leaked and found out that it was right. probably Israel and or us that right. did it, but no, neither Israel Talk about the Iranian... Yeah, we destroyed the... That was pretty sweet. I mean, we, yeah. we, we, but, but that was a, that was an accident that that was discovered. At least it, indications are such. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it was purposely yeah. leaked or something like this, but it was security firms that figured this out and right. that likely attributed it. Yeah. But it's not like we published, uh, you know, the president didn't go and give an address to the nation where Obama said we created this virus to, yeah. you know, disable Iran's. But he knew about it. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure he knew about it. Yeah. Um, and so that, for whatever reasons, you know, I think that that's kind of part it's hard to evaluate a lot of these things. Yeah. Like in general, I give a lot of leeway to presidents and just assuming that they know a lot more data points right. than I do. So the decisions they're making are under a lot of certainty yeah. we don't have. Yeah. Well, we've reached the magical uh, one hour point. W- w- the witching both, hour. Well, yeah. both listeners have um, have <laughs> reached capacity for uh, this the witty banter and the, the bon mot. But I will say this. It's been a pleasure. appreciate you not using my last name in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the liner notes for this episode. Um, Charlie and I need to take a walk. But... All right, yeah. folks, we're continuing here with Jeremy. We've looped him so, back into some more time. So we're discussing how Jeremy's uh, actually a card-carrying member of the alt-right. Crypto alt-right. Crypto right. alt-right. So am I? The, the, the alt-right is a, really interesting, is a really interesting thing, I think, because it, well, first off, the phrase, the term is super innocuous. It just means, like, some different version of the right, which I think mm-hmm. is a manifestly observed phenomenon that everyone notices that the right in particular, is like shifting its axes a little bit, and what actual right-wing partisans are talking about and caring about today, especially on the internet, is different from what it was ten years ago. Right, uh, and there are a lot of really good right-wing ideas. The idea that I think Jeremy largely prescribes to, yeah, uh, that you might even be unwittingly prescribing prescribed to, right? Where, whereby, yeah, you think. I it's think actually interesting that Trump is dismantling some of this stuff, right? Does that make me all right? I don't know. Well, I mean, and, and yeah, it probably does so to a lot I, of your peers. I, I, I'm a big um, fan of reclaiming the term all right. Good. So say more. What is it? Because so, so, it is associated where I, from where I sit yeah. politically. It is associated with, 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 with an ignorant, well, dark, are, evil, yeah, but Charlottesville racist was evil. Charlottesville was evil, right? Well, but once again, Charlottesville what was... What was Charlottesville for you? Charlottesville for me was a rally called Unite the Right, in which you had some confluence of people on a spectrum from the type of quote-unquote evil pariahs that, that, that would be most uh, reasonably vilified, mm-hmm. you know, the white, white supremacists, whatever, you know, probably pretty so, low-IQ ignorant guys, combined with people along a wide spectrum of probably, like, lesser degrees of, of right-leaning, okay, alt-right-ish but, right. stuff. And some bad shit happened, in part because there was significant combat going on between different groups there who were violently opposed. And I'm sure the the Antifa ultra hard left, also low IQ, also not particularly uh, cogent worldview individuals, clashed particularly hard with those people on the right. And bad shit happened, and it yeah. and it spoke to a, a fear that's very legitimate in this country of like violent conflict between sure. ideological camps. Yeah, but that doesn't mean what 
It doesn't mean what? It was, it was well, it doesn't, it doesn't mean, I think, for example, that, that right. anything that's alt-right uh, or alternative so what's the good right, of the alt-right... What's the good of the alternative right? Like, like the non-racist... I think it's the mismashing. Okay. I think the alt-right is like a different framework to look at the world through. Okay. Many of the things that, that are claimed to be alt-right things... I mean, people keep on... Many, many very reasonable inter interlocutors that almost everybody would agree are reasonable are termed as being alt-right by the media. Okay, but is there a danger? Uh, is uh, there a danger? Th my only question for you would be, yeah. is there a danger in, in, in trying to renovate the alt-right or sort of enjoy a myth? myth I think it'd be much better. One second, one second. I'm not done. Yeah. What, is, there, is there a danger in, in, in if you indulge in a part of it uh, that you potentially empower or, or don't effectively combat some of these dark, awful things that the alt-right is also connected to? Which is to say, yeah, so, white supremacy. Yes, there's, 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 there's danger. There's danger to making all kinds of like. Look, I don't like the phrase "is there danger associated with" because yeah. almost everything there's danger associated. Well, with. answer the question. Anything, there's uncertainty. So, so about, think, yeah, is there is the there danger? Yes, yeah, there's danger like, to but, it. But, but banning the claims of domestic racism. And it's, is it what's more dangerous? Living in a state of perpetual denial about a lot of weird facts about the world, or no, no, because yeah. a lot of facts are definitely termed to be alt right. Things yeah. that, that, for example, you know, a, a an intelligence researcher might view as entirely uncontroversial would be picked up by a let's say leftist news organization as being an alt right, uh, completely unacceptable view. Not yeah. because they're false, but because they're quote unquote dangerous. That they they may be taken by the wrong person to make logical leaps that are not necessarily entirely so accurate example, or well thought out. What's an example? And, and what about danger? Well, there's plenty of, there's, yeah. there's a host of examples that, that we could both mention, but yeah. I think it's a lot less dangerous to explore ideas, right? And then that you can vehemently disagree with and you're free to disagree with, right? Uh, but the problem with the radical left is that their solution is censorship. Sure. Uh, and censorship is really what yeah. got me personally excited about a lot of this alt-right movement stuff because you, you see these people who are, who are brilliant, thoughtful people um, who might have controversial I, ideas who go think, into college campuses yeah. and they're censored. Well, I think there's and, a very unique, narrow, strange thing going on with this college campus. Invite, like this provocative invite, invite Milo's, Milo and all this. Uh, yeah, Milo, yeah, like uh, Milo to come and then and then and then. Milo yeah, is also how is Milo all right? Milo, Milo yeah. highlights the fact that the alt right is not a dangerous movement. I'm not a, I'm the alt right is something that is invented by the left. I do, as I, some I, sort I, of, I have a master's from the University of Chicago, and one of my favorite, <laughs> uh, one of my favorite <laughs> remarks on the subject came from the president of the University of Chicago, Robert Zimmer, who said in a memo. Oh, he's amazing. Speech memo, right? Yeah, speech yeah. memo. Which, 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 to me is exactly the right approach here. Is that like there is really nothing to be gained from but, 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 from a kind of muzzling and suppression of debate and speech. It, it, but it, those it, memos don't go far enough because the, the, the I, I'm a big fan of Milo's, and the big reason for that is similar to what we discussed about Trump, which is the mismashing. Yeah. Which is the removing the taboos around discussing various sacred topics yeah. about ridiculing them. He's a comedian and a provocateur, yeah. which he readily admits. Sure. And that's what comedy does. He just pushes it in right. aggressive It turns directions. out, though, the problem with politics is that it, it has wide-ranging and there's, there's like a, a delayed reaction uh, that... There, can, there, there are dangers to many very, ideas. Very harmful. And so yeah. uh, my only, I guess my only point would be you tread on very... You're in a very... I would say risky position politically if, if, because you give oxygen to some potentially give oxygen yeah. to some of the but, worst and, 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 claims. And reasonable and people those claims can, you agree shouldn't exist. Reasonable people can disagree that in the age of the internet, 
trying to ineptly censor ideas doesn't, I, I would argue that trying to ineptly censor ideas yeah. uh, does not work. Right. And in fact, only inflames things versus trying to reasonably discuss those right. ideas. So, right. But because I, I, you can't effectively censor right. them. Right. So what I don't understand then is what makes that all. So to me, alt-right is an extra, it's very, I mean, maybe this is a problem with labeling. The alt right are trying to put those ideas out there and let them be discussed more in the open. It doesn't from an a noble enlightenment I think goal, it does. Really? Because it's, it's, no, it's, it, the, the noble goal is censorship smashing and myth smashing. <laughs> Which is a very noble goal. But I feel like the values of the, the so-called... I mean, give me some some, some of the tenets of uh, the alt-right. What does the alt-right stand for? So constructive well, almost everything it's that's been censored. Right. The easiest way is, is everything that's been censored so far, right, is alt-right. What's right? been censored? Uh, I mean, let's take a look at Milo, right? Yeah. So so Milo is uh, sort of... Uh, has, has been famously denounced because of his views on feminism, on modern-day modern interpretations of feminism, right? Third wave feminism. Uh, third wave feminism, right? And so, but by the way, if, for those who don't know who who Milo Yiannopoulos is, he's gay. He's married to a black man. Um, he is highly intellectual, <laughs> and is probably the least prejudiced person that that that. Well, no, he has a lot of prejudices against different things than you'd be expected. He'd have prejudices. He against. wrote. He wrote. He's very right in, intolerant of feminists, for example, when they're trying to suppress other people. But yes, he, a, he also you know, was a he was a journalist and he yes. he wrote daily for, 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 the, for Breitbart yes. mm-hmm. Bannon yeah. and is and is credited with with Trump. He's he's right he's he's a avowed right wing yeah. person. Right, so but there but are, what, what does that are, being on the right involves other commitments. No, you have to have no. But his beliefs there are political commitments that you make as a partisan, which is to say you have, for example, like a view on the size and role of government. Or, you know, I think he has views on those yeah. things. Yeah. So, so the, how does, what's his view on guns? What's his view on abortion? No, the alt right is a matter. What we, you're confusing, I think, is that those ma- issues don't really matter very much. And the, the theater that we've. No, no, no. Because I entirely change, agree. Yes, we, don't, yes, yes. we don't actually change any of those rules. Right. We, they're they're a political a, theater. We can pretend every election cycle, oh, abortion, I feel this way. Oh, I feel this way. But there are Guess laws. Guess what? We'll spend the next hundred years. Yeah, but but they don't, we don't change the laws. No, but there are they're not laws. real political There's, issues. No, because there they're are not laws actually state, they're, Today, some states. They're not actually a state, have, though. No, you, 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 you do or don't have you, access you, to safe legal abortion in so, some so states. You, you, can feel, some you, states. you may feel that those are a crux core political issue. I know that they're electoral issues. Because it, it maybe, but I actually don't think they are nearly as much anymore, which is why they're not nearly as big a part of the I think most guns recent... Gonna, I think guns is going to become the issue in 2020. Probably, I probably. Think, I think guns is on a path well, to being the abortion. It's the wedge issue. It, it's too prominent. I think, I think it's actually one-sided. I think the left is really concerned with guns, and the right is actually just sort of acknowledges that they're not at risk. I don't think the right's really super preoccupied no, with guns. No, that's what I'm saying. I think the people, the, the, the left like, will use the same way that the right used abortion. Yeah, was, abortion was laws not really going to change. It was a strategy. It was literally really a strategy. Change. It was a very yeah. tough partial border. But, but there are real divisive issues that actually impact how we live and are actually much more malleable about how we construe our society, how a lot more... Have you ever needed safe legal access to an abortion? I mean, if you had a, pre- a non-wanted pregnancy today, you'd be grateful for the ability to have an abortion. Actually, abortion... Yeah, I'm, I'm pro-abortion. Yeah. The, so the, I'm not sure that the everyone all right is, though. I, I'm pretty... No, they're not, because right. abortion's not a, a, an issue... That really defines but the alt right. If you have, if you have policy, the alt right isn't defined as much by issues as 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 it's as opposition. It is, it's opposition. It's 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 a meta movement. It really is. Yeah. I, I I agree. It's, it's an op- opposition to radical leftism. It's I a think. it's a meta movement in which they don't really harbor any any beliefs except that 
any beliefs that are have been uh, have been censored, especially but within if you academia, win, but if you win office, should have okay. the ability to be espoused publicly and should be. But what are those ideas? That are being, what are the things that are being censored on the campus? Well, let me, let me, what is what is? Give me one example of like a, of this of, of speech that is not allowed. You're not allowed to talk. Let, let, me, let me go let back me, to Google Memo so, style. So I'm, I'm going to go to one of the core, mm -hmm. con most controversial alt right things: white nationalism. Yeah. Okay. It's like deep at the core of both what is considered so anathema about the alt right but also is a major defining point, I think, of what it's about, which is I don't think that most people who, let's say, have these political beliefs or, or and a lot of people don't really define themselves as alt-right, but really like map onto a very similar set of okay. like views, whatever. But I think that very few people actually think that America should become a nation of white people. However, hmm. they view, they, they, many, many people are fundamentally upset that there is a different standard that exists between discussions of, say, you know, it seems totally fine to, for Japan to be uh, ethnic Japanese nationalists, but it's not okay to even have any discussions about any possible plausible anything to do with white anything because it's tabooed and it's viewed as too... Well, it, has a, too it has a pretty dark and ugly history in this country. And that's fine. And that, discussion can, and that discussion can be had. But there's a difference between having that discussion and talking about well, this is why it's probably not a good idea to try and like expel all the minorities from a country. Are we not versus, versus, Are we not versus, versus ashamed of our history? Things. I mean, our, our our existence in this land. I'm not ashamed of anything. No, I was our, not alive. No, you to didn't be personally of, act, but our national. Uh, I, I don't. I don't. So you're talking about white guilt, guilt, right? That no, if no, you're, you're, guilt. you're, I'm saying our, the, there are two fundamental violence eras of violence or, or, or violence among almost every ethnicity. Right. It's a very human characteristic right. no, exactly. <laughs> against well, everybody. And the unique American one, you know, the American nation rests on two, you know, catastrophic, uh, violences, which, 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 which are one is against the native populations here and the other is against, but not everybody, not slavery. everybody agrees that those are atrocities. It's quite reasonable to say, well, hey, guess what? I'm happy to be able to live in America. But do you think there were atrocities or not? That, that the Native people were, you know, displaced when when white. I don't believe Europeans that there. I don't believe that there are any different atrocities than when you know uh, Genghis Khan conquered China. Or, that's a kind of what about like, I'm just wondering what. No, the, and I think all the all these things are generally. I mean, they happened. We don't. We didn't. Do they're, 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 they're power terrible. moves between groups. They're fundamentally legitimate in the sense that they can happen, do happen, align with various goals that organisms have, that groups have, whatever else. Okay, what about do shadow slavery, though? I think shadow slavery is unfortunate, pretty unfortunate and ugly part of the founding of this country and this building, construction of this economic, uh, especially in the South, the economic substrate. There are lots of reasons why slavery is bad. Yeah. I agree. Right. I so, don't feel guilt about I'm people who have the same skin just, color as no. me holding yeah. chattel slaves. I I'm not asking you to have guilt. No I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering whether you factor that in when you consider. I don't believe there's a higher level moral, existential, deistically defined badness about virtually anything. I, I just think, slavery, think that some I think things, human slavery is, is. No, is, I don't think so. I think that I think that it's not something I would ever advocate for. Good. It's not something that I think is. I think it has many, many downsides, human and otherwise. Uh, however. There's not some I, I don't I don't ascribe to a religious I mean, to, to to just say like chattel slavery is fundamentally evil 
necessarily means that they're somehow good at I yeah, yeah you but I'm saying, have is it, some fundamental let's just, which doesn't an, exist. Right, let's just say yeah. objectively do we want it in the world or not like if you could do, do, do you want to do what sorry? do we no behind the veil like, we, do we do don't nobody be, nobody be, thinks we should, we should we want slavery in the world right okay right? so i feel like that's so, but, so, but so the fact, the fact just, that i don't feel guilty about people with my skin color i don't feel guilty either i didn't do it i i'm just all i'm saying is that I, I, that, but the, by the way, what you just expressed is like a really, really controversial thing to say right now. Yeah. But by that not you don't feeling feel guilty, guilty about chattel slavery, that's and, and, and not feeling You're, guilty that's about a, that's like an alt. No, it's a serious, no, it's an alt right statement. No, I, I, and I, not feeling guilty about being a man. I'm feeling guilty, I, guilt. I spend my, I spend. Do you feel guilty about being a man and enjoying the privilege? I spend an hour a week trying to avoid. I spend it in psychotherapy, try to work to avoid guilt. I don't think guilt is productive emotion. I think it's. But you do feel guilt about a lot of things. I you do. Have I feel you have a proclivity toward guilt. Yeah, I Would think you say a, that I you feel guilt about things that are outside your lifetime? No, I try to avoid feeling guilt for things I'm not responsible for. That's yes. kind of that's but an you, important. But you, have a, you, but, an important but you do sometimes feel self-accepting. Well, I think different it's, people it's have bad. different proclivities to feel. It's bad. Guilt it's unhelpful. Things. People feel guilty about things that they that they, they, well, they they're, they're no. Wrong. I'd actually I'd, I'd say sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes guilt is helpful. Really? How? Is a corrective if you do something bad and it's bad you shouldn't do it again and, and oh, it's a it's a that's it's a sorry, and then it's things you're not responsible for like like people. well well there's a function of that too which is it's a attempt at genuinely signaling like hey I'm not going to do this thing again if you apply for a job or my I, my you, group my if, group is not going to do this if thing again you apply for a job and you get yeah. it and it's based on any you don't know why you got it over a competitor yeah and, and you find out the next day on day one that that someone else who sought the same job mm. didn't get it. Uh, some people would would have a response. I mean, yeah, a lot, a lot of people. A lot of people. The healthy emotional response is to have empathy for the person who didn't get the job and wish them well, but be but be confident and grateful that you got it and move on. I take, I think I take are, issue I think, with the use of healthy there. I think that's a little bit pathologizing people. Who I think they're like unhealthy. I think they're unhealthy real. responses. So I'm saying they're like un- psychologically unhealthy responses to 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 well, what about, something what about like that. When I when I get a job and if I feel like I earned the job. More than feeling that, you know, uh, poor guys who didn't get it and I got it instead. I feel like, well, this is good. As long as I legitimately got the job, then it means that, like, society is more efficient now and everyone's better off. And I just raised all votes. Right. Okay. What I'm saying is that guilt in that context would be unmerited because you didn't actually do anything right or wrong. But you well, of course, if you, if you believe that you didn't deserve the job or that it was, like, a harmful right. thing... Then you should feel guilty. What if you, you got just it? Not take the job. What if you got it because? What if you got it, um, like because you because of a personal relationship yeah. or something yeah. like that? Then maybe then you should feel guilty. You should the, feel well, there's a trade-off yeah. between doing what's good by you versus what's good right. by society. And so all, writ I, large. all I'm saying is that the the the, the what people feel, people who say they feel I mean I'm not sure that they feel guilt in the exact same way, but people who want historical redress for oppression like shadow slavery are in the camp of people who think. That what the system has evolved to today has 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 essentially failed to address the the kind of un I would say unjust premise of of uh, like you know where's this con- just where's this justice come from where's this <laughs> where does this justice come from yeah. I mean it's something we pursue we pursue in society we Why? like because we value it we think Why? that That's there should I mean, so to go back to our original point, what are what are what are what are all right uh, sort of beliefs, right? Um, yeah. Kind of what we're expressing. Yeah. What right? are all right? So 
So yeah. all right beliefs uh, tend wait, to not wait. even be Republican in nature, right? They tend to be things that are that have what a lot to do with our office? identity. What if you win office as an all right person? Like what if Richard Spencer was instead of being that's the thing. It, it, strange, no, but, but, but Richard it is Spencer not, is it, not my spoken for the all right. Who is your spokesman for the all right? Oh, not at all. I'm, I'm See, my that's own a, spokesman for. Okay, so for, what if you win office? What are your policies? I mean, but that's the thing is, it's the alt right. The alt right is not. It's not a policy. There are no policies that are couched in the alt right. What it is, alt right has to attend another political idea. The alt right is a resistance. I think I think probably a, a canonical right policy would be yeah. trying to dismantle various censorship institutions that, that that for example like maybe don't subsidize universities that actively engage in censorship. Maybe that's an all right policy. Okay. Maybe trying but to build systems government, that occur. But government requires a bunch of other policies. Like you need to have a foreign policy. You need to have um, domestic sure. policy. You need to spend money at certain priorities. Sure. Like I think I think I, I, I just, think I mean it's immature. I think people with I think a lot of people. Who have these set of beliefs that we're trying to define using the world all right for disagree about those different things. I might have a whole set of things that I would prescribe to, but I can't necessarily. I haven't. I haven't. You know, gone out and, and platformed and, and heard what people cheered for and what they booed for who find themselves in this camp. Honestly, it, it's probably some mixture of like sixty-five yeah. percent of people think that we should be more nationalistic, and thirty-five think we should be yeah. less nationalistic, and whatever else. But but there's a all, all political movements, views, parties have a set of things that people agree on, and yeah. then people kind of have mixed views about other things. Right, and they can evolve, and I'm not asking yeah. for like some... But it's not even a party. I don't... I don't that's why I'm worried, I'm worried about the, the commitment to, to this alt-right thing in this room, because it doesn't... It's, it has, it's, it's something. It's a parlor academic kind of endeavor, mm-hmm. but it's not a... It's not a political no. endeavor. Well, 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 which is, it's not which purely is, political. Is it's but not purely political. political no. at all. I mean, no. but but my point is, we don't have a choice. We live in a political uh, world. We have. But I'm limited, fine with it being political. We I have mean, limited I, resources. Sure. But you but need, you wouldn't. I I would say that there's probably more diversity of thought amongst people who associate themselves somehow with alt right, all whatever it, with with these movements than you'd imagine. There's probably a lot of leftists there's, there's who of who thought, yeah. abhor the censorship. Um, on the left, who abhor the lack of diversity of thought, the lack of the dialectical method being embraced when it used to be. If you look at, I always bring this up: Noam Chomsky and William and Matt Buckley, right? Um, they I, used to debate publicly, yeah, publicly on the firing line, right? Yeah, no, I that wish, doesn't happen I, anymore. I, I know, but I'm not sure the all right's the way to get that, is it? Well, the all, the, all the all, uh, all I think it's all, working all, pretty well as a meme spreading through the internet. Yeah, I think a lot. Of all that it really means is that should happen. I am totally, <laughs> you know. But, but, but I guess my main frustration that I'm trying to express, yeah, what, is, why, what the reason, bothers you? Well, what? the reason why I'm using this term alt right and trying to like mm-hmm. reclaim it or whatever else, mm-hmm. I don't need to use this term. You can use whatever, mm-hmm. you know, anti uh, extreme leftism or something mm-hmm. like this, mm-hmm. or anti taboo or whatever. But but what upsets me or saddens me a bit is that what happened is that you know alt right was initially. Just like this alternative right, like it just started off with the Tea well. Party, by the way, which yeah. was not very extreme at all, and and, and yet and, they and were pretty they, intellectually were, incompetent, right? It mean, was very, it's very different than what yeah, this. Yeah, but I'm saying, don't, yeah. but like, do you think that it was, example, it was, a, it was an Sarah Palin is a national disgrace. I mean, she sucks. Yeah, uh, <laughs> she's just really she's, stupid. She's just yeah. really dumb. Yeah, <laughs> so, like, so, like, yeah so I mean, it, it, that's company. Those are that she's a bedfellow. Um, I will pass on. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't really, claim her as one of mine, even though she comes from. Yeah, I think she was she's, an she's early like, part of the tradition I, of trying to. Because I think frankly, look at, the right got really stale. I think it, started, mm-hmm. it, it talked about issues that nobody really cared about anymore. And that were were. I think uh, Thomas Paine is a better bedfellow for you. I think that for sure. I think that I think that Sarah Palin is. An embarrassment, and and if I had an opportunity, well, people to... in a classical liberal tradition, a lot, what a lot of people that I'm like looping into this alt right thing would call themselves classical liberals. Sure, 
And but that's a but that, but, but the reason that, has, that has a program though. They actually have a government, a strategy for policy, and some and, of it. Some the alt right is a bit modernized in terms of it's very like relevant to today, and yeah. and thus you know it only exists in in juxtaposition to radical leftism, which is yeah. what I think I'm that's concerned about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I understand. Look, guys. but but but, but what, what what upsets me is that people as soon as like. Richard Spencer and the, the his type of the world. Mm -hmm. Richard Spencer, frankly, but, is a really distasteful guy. Yeah, he, if you hear he's him boorish. Speak, yeah. I mean, he's fundamentally well, you know, he's, just, he's, he's weirdly yeah, angry. He's with anti-Semitism, and yeah. it's like it's yeah. just a strange just, mix just of kinda, things. He just kind of sure. sucks. I don't think yeah. very many people. At least I don't like. Richard Nobody really likes that. Guy. Nobody really likes. That's that. a funny thing. But that is, is that is that is on another uh, to take the meta perspective. Like the fact that people associate uh, any sort of resistance to the left. With and Richard Spencer, it's, it's part name. of the problem. <laughs> and what upsets me so much and why I want to reclaim alt-right is as soon as Richard Spencer is like, yo, we're the alt-right, I'm the alt-right, yeah. then immediately this entire movement got scared because they were so afraid of any vague association with him that they all just yeah. said, oh, I'm not alt-right, I'm not that big not, that he is. He's an anti-Trump, so it's like a confusing mess. I think what you need is a clear definition of... of, of a progress, like well, I, 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 constructive I, definition of all right. Like it's one thing to tear stuff down; totally fine. But what else? Would the but that's the stage we're right. I think. But <laughs> what does it stand for? Well, what political, right? political parties are always structured in opposition to one another. But then they need. And they, I think, they I, think progress, I think alt right is the opposition to progressivism, specifically focused on uh, anti censorship, yeah. a, a an encouragement of. Uh, let's say it's more important to deal with many issues that are controversial and maybe dangerous to talk honestly about things. It by and large is better to try and deal with them honestly yeah. as opposed to try I and agree. pretend. But I think, like, I it's, think a a it's a scaffolding of how to think about these but issues. I think if you look at as opposed to as opposed to action and say like, look, we want to do we want to have a serious, sober, thoughtful conversation about whether affirmative action is working, yeah. what its goals that's are. That's what we're advocating for. That's right. it. So, but so I, I I think you can do that. In a way that's respectful to the to, to what what we refer to as the guilt or the historical well, redress. You're not allowed to talk about that. Yeah. I don't think I you realize exactly. where we are. I don't yeah, think I you realize where we are politically. Well, we, we can keep talking while he's yeah. in the bathroom. He doesn't realize where we are politically. You are not allowed. You are not allowed to have an honest discussion about affirmative action right now. Well, it is other, an impossibility. One of the other things that's tricky and that like you're also not allowed to talk about that much is that. Where are you guys being censored? You're too, you're too intelligent white guys. You, you can talk oh, dude, I, I, have you been asleep no, no, no. Well, we're, we're, for the past we're, 10 years at Facebook? We're, <laughs> we're, 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 we're breaking the conditioning, though, yeah. to quote Alex Jones. I mean, I'll uh, tell you, my, my college peers, if I talked about, if, if you even mentioned that affirmative action might be pro problematic, right? Yeah. Um, especially, for those yeah, especially for those marginalized groups that yeah. we care and want to protect, or care about and want to protect, you're you are which, which, automatically labeled as a racist, as a bigot. They will slang ad hominem arguments at you <laughs> well, to the well, point where you are censored, and well, that, that's that's a problem. Well, I think another aspect of all right is that racism is a tired meme that's that's grossly misappropriated and misused. Uh, misogyny is a tired meme that's grossly well. It's an effective. And it's misused. an effective tool. It's an effective I mean, if you tool. want to shut anybody up. You attack their character as opposed to their arguments, right? Which is a very but, but, but the only reason that works is because at some point in the past we established these words like racism as being canonical evils, mm -hmm. and then there was a lot of definition creep and a lot of change in the world, and also a lot of difference in understanding about the world or whatever else. And so all of a sudden, that that racism is canonical evil 
seems to be like really harming our ability to actually grapple with normal things that everybody would think is reasonable if you mm -hmm. just extracted this word from the sentence. Right. If you just define terms simply and in common language and literally and avoided taboo words, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. everybody would kind of agree. Right. But once you add the taboo word, it makes it... But the problem is the taboo it. word, at once once people recognize... Let's talk about your, your, your discussion at the, at the FinTech event, right? Yeah. yeah. This discussion required a little bit of... You want alcohol? Compensation. Dude, so, so I think what's like like some calories. What I don't understand is the, who's censoring these guys. Okay, so let, let me get, let me give you an example. It's a, it's a fair point. I think I think it's worth addressing because I think your speech your your speech at the fintech at the women's fintech event yeah was was uh, was, was was a prime example of what happens. So well, no, no, no. So so to give background to the to the listening audience, both listeners, both listeners, Jeremy yeah. and Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> I gave a speech uh, very recently at a uh, high-level uh, meeting of females in fintech um, that featured many C-level executives at various fintech companies that were all women. Um, and I gave a speech on uh, gender diversity and discussed a lot of very uncomfortable... Uh, Yet uncontroversial, really. Yeah, but, but scientifically uncontroversial, politically taboo, and, and mm -hmm. highly censored... Mm -hmm. uh, Arguments about about you know things like the gender pay gap and things like IQ between men and women and interests and competencies in different areas and what we should expect and look for and try to understand about differences between men and women cognitively that are real and exist but but are much more nuanced than uh, political arguments uh, usually portray them to be um, and it's not like I couldn't give that talk uh, however you weren't censored. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. However, a lot of people got very upset, and a lot of people. Uh, well, you said some. They 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 did. They either misunderstood you, or they drew inferences from what from what you said. No, my my, my honest. Some some, some of them totally agreed with me. Threatened or denied. Some of them totally agreed with me. Others, uh, putting aside whether they believe my truth claims or not, felt that it's better to censor said truth claims. I think that's the best way to summarize it. Would you agree, Jimmy? I, I would agree, but I, I actually think it was it was uh, you're you're giving the audience too much credit. Um, I I think that as soon as people recognize where the discussion was going, uh, no snacks. No, I don't eat snacks. Almost immediately, once people understood where the discussion was going, yeah, um, they started to hurl various uh, effective, uh, you know canonically evil words at you, right? That uh, uh, No one said you were a misogynist directly. No one said you were a misogynist directly. I mean, afterwards, you were confronted with those types of words, right? Was that They said, for example, why are you giving this talk to a group of women? Why don't you just talk to a group of guys about this? As if as if there's no reason to discuss the truth other than for like partisan ambitions. As if they had nothing to gain from understanding and learning the nuance of the science. Okay, I wasn't there, but it sounds like you weren't censored. There was also a lot of come on. No, well, there was a lot of claims of like spurious. Were you allowed to finish? Did anybody interrupt you? In fact, a 25-minute speech went on for two and a half hours. So, but but that that was a. This is a more nuanced thing where he wasn't censored, but his arguments were immediately recognized as spurious and and met with like incredible. They weren't that bad. They weren't that bad about it. They they definitely had immediate rather than like. I think they had default assumptions regardless and they didn't need any data to support what they pre-believed to be true, not even based on their observations, but based on what they just felt was like an effective yeah. political. But we're also talking, we're also, we're, she needs dinner. All right. What? what? We're going we're gonna to pause here. 
So, so for the record audience, <laughs> Jeremy's just left. Uh, not in, not in under, under, you know, not, not with any ill, ill feelings, but, uh, maybe he's becoming a little uncomfortable. Uh, I uh, think it's representative of the fact that the, that I, uh, people are uncomfortable admitting as well. So this is what's really interesting is, uh, these, uh, the, the, sort of violent leftist movement has, um, com- has held hostage people that are above average um, intellectually. Well, this, is, this, is, this is the answer to, to Jeremy's question, because he, he brings up a good point. It's a frequent criticism of people like us who talk about censorship, which is it's like, well, you're not being censored, you're talking. And indeed, that's true. We are talking. Uh, now, there's concern that exists for talking about these things and possible, like, possible negative repercussions that come from just having conversations about things, even reasonably. There's a whole notion of, you know, Twitter uh, takedowns of people and cancel culture and all these kinds of things. But there's also the notion that there's this pervasive fear that exists, including, I might argue a little bit on Jeremy's part, if he was here to defend himself, he could argue otherwise, but he left. Uh, <laughs> that, that in, that in fact, just makes it so that people feel too much risk to talk about things. And I agree that I don't feel nearly as censored as most do, and I do talk about these things, but I'm, I'm one of, of you know, 300-some-odd million Americans and I, I, it, I, I think that it, it's just, I think the, the censorship is an effective censorship due to fear that stops most people from talking about stuff. Yeah. And I think the country would be much healthier if those people didn't feel that fear. That, that's my political belief. And that, and that fear is motivated by the, uh, the prospect of being ostracized from, uh, especially, especially elite circles in society. Detribed from important circles in society. So yeah. the smartest people who should be Interested in what you're saying, uh, yeah, feel, are, feel like they are the ones who are the most fearful, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're in a small town in Alabama, you can talk about this all you want. If you're in San Francisco, and in my case, I work in in technology. Luke does as as well. Um, I've actually, I think it's actually interesting. Like a, a lot of the folks that I work with have explicitly told me not to participate in this when I've told them about it. Explicitly told me, oh, for sure. That, well, I get, I've, that, gotten, I've gotten two things when I've talked about this podcast. One is, oh my God, let me know when you release it. I really love to hear it. And the other is, it's a really bad idea for you to do that, dude. Why would you do that? When literally all the, the, the only descriptor I need to give is like talking about controversial truth claims. Yeah. That's why the fact that that's something that so many people are so fearful of. Yep. That's, that's, that's like, that's, that's what I'd say this, this reclaimed alt-right is all about. Mm-hmm. Is just don't be afraid of talking about these things. And, and it, it is a political view. There is a legitimate argument that censorship has value. It does have some function in some cases. It's, it's a pervasive, common human phenomenon. I lived in China for a lot of time where they're very egregious about it and they have reasons for doing it. Um, but I think it's also a fundamentally very destabilizing force and makes the changes when, when the dam breaks, it's all the more radical and all the more well, severe. It's, it's stabilizing, but you're just basically veiling uh, what are... Uh, inevitabilities, right? Which <laughs> when, when these ideas come out. So it's almost like, I think the, the proper analogy is whether you believe in a free market or not. Right. Um, and I, I mean, really, I mean, it couldn't, there couldn't be a, a more precise mapping, right? Um, but, a free market for ideas or a free market, uh, well, free period. market period in yeah. the economy, we seem to all hold as, as self-evident, right? Yeah. Is, is better than, uh, than some sort of, you know, communist or socialist. Yeah, and, and extended uh, more broadly, like evolved systems. Yes. Are like 
yes. things that are robust and varied and have a lot of randomness. Evolved systems are all, by, by definition, They're free, free market. markets. Yes. Nature is a yes. free market. That's right. Yeah. And we know, and every reasonable person knows, that, that it might be chaotic, mm. um, but at the same time, it does tend to produce the best results, right? By far. Um, not, even, not, not by a small margin. Right. Yeah. Even if there's collateral damage, right? Yeah. And the problem is we're not ex allowed to accept the collateral damage, hurting people's feelings in this case. Uh, <laughs> it's often very minimal collateral uh, yeah, damage yeah. or greatly overplayed collateral mm -hmm. damage. Doesn't mean that you don't think it exists. It's just a question of cost-benefit trade-off. There's some collateral damage. I might think it's less than someone else thinks it is. Mm -hmm. And I might think that even if it exists, that the greater good is served through, you know, not overestimating that collateral damage mm -hmm. or, or sometimes uh, not everything is Pareto optimal. Mm -hmm. Not everything means that everyone is strictly always better off mm -hmm. all the time. Um, and that's okay because we are willing. We, 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 I think it's good in general that our society like has safeguards to try to make sure that no change hurts any individual so much. Mm -hmm. You know, we try and generally make Pareto optimal moves. We try and generally say, well, we're going to increase everybody's well-being without hurting anybody too much. Mm -hmm. And that's in part because like, you know, the, the, well, for example, death is very permanent and mm -hmm. it's negative utility to the, in the subject mm -hmm. who faces it mm -hmm. outweighs a whole lot of positive utility mm -hmm. felt by other people. Mm -hmm. um, would you kill someone to deliver a PlayStation game a week earlier to everyone in the world? You know, a lot of people benefit from the PlayStation game, but it's right. good reason that the negative utility to the one death is not equal right. to yeah, the right. slight dopamine version yeah. that everybody Utilitarianism else Utilitarianism is, is, is flawed in many ways. Uh, yeah, I agree but, as well. Yeah, I'm not, but, yeah. But in in effect, I think um, another problem that I have is is by sort of ver you know sort of definitionally a lot of the censorship is actually hurting those marginalized groups which they intend to help right. Yeah. So I think women, for example, right. Uh, I you know I actually really respect and love women. I think they've played a really vital role in our society. Yeah. All of the things that they've ever done historically really well and have been evolved to do really well are now. Uh, are, are, have now been diminished, right? Um, well, it, it, I, I, I even would go so far, I generally agree with you that mm -hmm. I think things like third-wave feminism are not good for women writ large. Mm -hmm. However, I, you know, I'm even happy to have that debate, and I think there is an argument that you know, women, many women at least, are politically well-served by advocating for a bunch of things that are kind of nonsense, uh, mm -hmm. but that, that let certain people have certain jobs that they mm -hmm. like a lot or whatever else, mm -hmm. or help, help, help certain usually elite people mm -hmm. uh, have, yeah. have, have certain things that they feel like they want. Um, I'm willing to entertain that. What I just don't feel like I'm willing to abide is not being allowed to even advocate for an alternative view yep. or to say that they're just worth more, their voice is worth more than mine, so much so that they're allowed to speak with impunity and, and, uh, and allowed to try and punish me severely for disagreeing. Right. Um, I mean, I'd like to try and start punishing people. I, I wouldn't like to start punishing people for having feminist views, but that's like the, the eye for an eye alternative, right? If I, if I see someone espouses feminist views, do we think it's just for me to fire them immediately or to, you know, not, not. I mean, of course they, not. Yeah. In fact, we should embrace uh, that diversity of, of, of sort of thought. And well, the well, funny no, thing but, is. But, but even maybe it is okay to do that. Mm -hmm. it, maybe it is okay. It should just be symmetric in yeah. some way. You, you, should, you shouldn't have a fundamental asymmetry in, in the, the marketplace of ideas. That's the problem. Um, and it's largely retributive. It, yeah. it, it, it's retribution for what has been perceived as white men have sort of 
uh, you know, have have it's, have it's maintained too argument. much power. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and, and the notion that like the world was always as easy and comfortable as it is now, mm -hmm. and the only reason why you know things were different in the past is just because uh, people oppressed other people. Mm -hmm. uh, when in fact, the history of the world is of like dramatic progress of all human beings working together in concert for the most part yep. to like make everybody better off and mm -hmm. trade. The, the discoveries and, and tools and items that they that they put together with other people and uh, and having individual instances of conflict and mm -hmm. uh, ethnic or otherwise and, uh, and this concept that we've always been at odds with each other like men and women I find so bizarre we're so uh, genetically we, aligned we, 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 we've we've worked in harmony forever yeah. there's never been an instance where it were one sex was pitted against the other I mean we're in a very unique period of time yeah. which might be exclusive there are reliable yeah. differences. I mean, look, mothers and, and children have genetically distinct interests such that gestation is a is a battle and an arms race mm -hmm. where the infant tries to extract as many resources as it can from the mother and the mother tries to counteract this, like, mm -hmm. because they have distinct interests. And, mm -hmm. and similarly, men and women, purely by virtue of our, like, anatomy and the fact that one of us gets pregnant and the other one doesn't, it's really as simple as that, we do have somewhat distinct interests. We mm -hmm. The, the fact that men and women represent different inter interest groups is real. Mm -hmm. There's like men can take advantage of women in, in a way that women can't take advantage of men and vice versa. And yeah. we have. Well, tools. vice versa is the interesting part, right? Yeah. We uh, just can't discuss the vice <laughs> yeah, versa. Yeah. I'm very happy yeah. to discuss that men and women are in many ways very aligned, in some ways reliably uh, misaligned. And in some ways, guys will reliably side with other guys. Uh, versus girls and, and vice versa, and there's like this this sort of common mm -hmm. common identity that comes from a real place and like a real practical place, mm -hmm. uh, evolved place uh, that distinguishes men and women's interests. Mm -hmm. But just like talk about it or don't, don't don't. Uh, well, yeah, it, the, it, the problem is academia now has has a sort of embraced a narrative which there is only right, one right answer, there's only one way to think about things clearly and decisively. And well, they have they, elevated uh, one sort of belief system above all else. And in fact, if you don't subscribe to it immediately and without apprehension, <laughs> yeah. uh, that means you're stupid. Well, about, That's a about, funny how, thing. How, how, about, how, about, how about diagnosing it as this? A, a weakness to and vulnerability to emotional blackmail. Like academia, academia is absolutely extremely vulnerable to emotional threats. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you give a lecture to a class full of undergrads and one or a couple of them get very emotional, mm -hmm. academia just doesn't seem to be able to respond to that. Right. And right. that in and of itself is a form of power mm -hmm. that is extremely effective mm -hmm. and props to the, the groups that are good at mustering that, the individuals mm -hmm. who are good at mustering that for exerting power. Yeah, but I don't personally think it's a not my interest it's, it's to, to value that. Power. It's a veiled power grab. Yeah, and these uh, microaggressions and micro rapes and uh, and these types of things that you're seeing across micro rapes. Yeah, my, I mean, no, seriously. Um, I was watching Bill Maher with what was that? What was that lady's name that that I mentioned? That, that she's wonderfully thoughtful. She was a she was a professor of philosophy. Um, I, I mentioned her, she was on Bill Maher. Um, I, I mentioned her earlier today. Oh, well, Christina Hoff Summers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So Christina Hoff Summers was Wonderful. saying that she was on a, uh, she, she, there, she was on some campus and, uh, she was teaching and, and a girl came in and said, I was just micro raped. And she goes, wow. well, what happened? And she goes, well, I was walking and a guy said, nice legs. I mean, this I've, is I've, real I've, stuff. I've, I've, real stuff. I've had girls tell me about how they've been raped before. 
mm-hmm. and I asked them about it. Yep. And the story, they were honest about the story, and it just never involved anything that anyone, mm-hmm. like there was no sex, mm-hmm. there was no penetration, certainly, mm-hmm. there was not even sexual acts. Mm-hmm. It boiled down to someone touching their leg mm-hmm. when they were kind of drunk, mm-hmm. and them being kind of fearful, mm-hmm. without any actual evidence that there, they, and, that, and by the way, that, that something was going to happen. And, and, and then, and then the guy... They said, please don't do that. And then the guy immediately apologized and stopped. Mm-hmm. And that, and I said, does that really sound like a rape to you? And they're like, well, no, but, but their initial characterization to me was that yep. this is my rape story. Yep. And I was, I was, but I this wish is, I could say a, I was shocked, but, it, but, but like. This is the problem though, is that there are real, definition. genuine rape victims, right? Yeah. And those are the folks that we're supposed to protect. Those are the examples of when men have power over women that is that's abused, well, and those, we should. Those are what our our intuitions yes. about rape being bad mm-hmm. were developed on a certain kind of rape that mm-hmm. you know is what like we call rape, yep, and yep. not the new world definition of micro rape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We we developed intuitions and laws and norms around a certain behavior that, in general, pretty much everybody agrees is bad. And severely bad. Mm-hmm. And then you change the definition to be something else without changing the norms and the laws. And, and a lot of poor, poor people have fallen victim to this. I mean, when, uh, when I was at Tufts, there was a day it's, it's hard, man. when you were, you were compelled as a female, as a part of uh, belonging to the group, yeah. uh, to, uh, to, to attract this weird type of negative attention, which is I have, I'm victimized, right? There's this, there's this new framework where being victimized is a sort of badge of, of, of honor, if you yeah, will, right? Yeah. It's, it's part of becoming part of the group. I, I, and I, I almost, yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail yeah. on the head, becoming part of the group. It's how you signal like solidarity with the group. And now it's victimization against the... And if I'm a a quote-unquote rape victim, then of course I stand for third-wave feminist values. Of course I hate men. Yes, (laughs) yes. Of course... It's like yes. it's it's a uh, it's very similar to other. I mean, and then and then the poor women who are actually raped, um, are it's some it's become somewhat trivialized because if we really cared about it, right, uh, then we wouldn't allow for th- for half of the women at universities to say that they've been raped, and all of the all of the all, uh, uh, all of the perpetrators go unpunished. We go, oh, you're raped. I'm so sorry. If you were really raped, we should go find that motherfucker and lock him up. But the, if I, it, it, I'm sure it sucks for a lot of people to doubt whether you were raped when you actually were. Because so many people cry wolf about it, and mm-hmm. they don't actually get raped, it's very reasonable to doubt mm-hmm. someone's mm-hmm. rape claims, mm-hmm. frankly, today, mm-hmm. because a shocking number, and by the way, if you actually talk to litigators, uh, you talk to people who, which I have, who adjudicate these cases, they will cite a shockingly high, upward of 50% number of the cases that they mm-hmm. they uh, represent, just being that the person's lying about getting raped, or they have no evidence for it, and their strong intuition is that it's untruthful. And if you actually look at the data too, there's so many claims about data. But why would they? I guess you, the question then becomes: Why would people fabricate these claims? You can gain a lot from and, it. Dude. But just, what can you gain? In in I I actually have maybe somewhat of a controversial view here. Yeah. I think that the it, it really is just becoming part of the group, and there's a yes, strange yes. type of attention and fame, um, and sort of uh, honor. In, in becoming part of this movement, and you I'll are you, sacrificing... You, I've, I've seen a lot of guys mm-hmm. who will start to bend over backwards giving attention to a girl mm-hmm. if she makes claim of being victimized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's part of... It's like, this is a... There, there's a certain... You can talk to girls, too, and they'll just tell you that, like, certain girls, many girls, mm-hmm. you know, understand that they can, like, get male attention through mm-hmm. uh, being someone that needs to be rec- rescued. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just sort of... It's, it's a certain form of bonding, and there's certain guys who... 
feel for certain reasons that I could probably go into depth as mm -hmm. to why that like if I can like rescue this person then maybe it implies that she's going to need me and I can have a more stable relationship mm -hmm. with her or whatever else um but it's it's a it's a there's a lot to be gained. It's I can good. almost guarantee you that this, uh, what, you know, we will be attacked uh, for even having a nuanced uh, sort of conversation about this, right? That is that is that is, that is entirely why. But, this I, but I, 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 I've, I mean, in my experience, and and a part of why I, I, you know, wanted to start this podcast with you, is that I actually I'm, I'm like really optimistic about the world. I make all kinds of really controversial claims all the time, mm -hmm. and I think it. Frankly, like I have the benefit of, of being able to live near and, and with a community of very smart people, mm -hmm. even who, if they disagree with me violently politically, like often are very attracted to just understanding things and mm -hmm. they're like pretty good at, at understanding things. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I, 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 I don't at least, I'm not aware of being attacked mm -hmm. uh, for saying all kinds of crazy things. No, I haven't published it on the internet yet. That's soon going to change with this podcast going live. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but I'm actually just kind of optimistic that the you get a lot of fans or you get a lot of appreciation from doing things that most like almost everybody well, do you thinks think this Jordan, conversation do you is think, reasonable. Do you think Jordan Peterson uh, is is somewhat reviled by most, or do you think he's actually no, no, almost everybody likes Jordan Peterson? There's a certain group of people. Yeah, I think I'm exposed to a cohort of people. Uh, and maybe this he is he has the number one yeah, book. Yeah. has had the number one book on Amazon for like two years straight or something crazy yeah. like that. Well, I adore him, right? Yeah. And uh, and I think he's the furthest thing from uh, from. I, I think he has no notions of, of sort of uh, you know undefended prejudice that he holds whatsoever. Um, he has. I mean, well, look, I disagree with him about some things. I think he has some biases. Like not, like in, not like in the what? direction that, that that the leftist leftist think he has biases. Yeah, you probably think in the other direction. I think in the other direction, <laughs> right? Yeah, frankly, I think I think he pulls punches on things because he's. Really putting himself out there, and he needs to have an absolutely watertight argument mm -hmm. that uh, protects him from character assassination mm -hmm. uh, because it would take too much nuance to actually understand why it's not wrong for him to. I, mm -hmm. I think his actual views mm -hmm. are probably extremely aligned with mine, but he doesn't fully espouse those views. Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's on things like, I don't know, like. Uh, for one, he's, his, his position on religion is a bit weird and is political, mm -hmm. and he wants to align a certain group of people behind him. Mm -hmm. And I love that, but mm -hmm. I understand and appreciate it. Yeah, uh, he does have a strange, strange, yeah. weird thing with religion. Well, he just, yeah, well, yeah he, he dodges it. And, and yeah. So, okay, everyone can kind of criticize him for that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that he, uh, for example, won't really touch issues about differences in in... Like, like it, talking about men and women in the workplace, mm -hmm. right? He's happy to talk about strong difference in interests mm -hmm. between men and women in engineering, mm -hmm. which is quite well observed. And, and I think there's a lot of evidence that it's true. Yeah, but he won't observe. But he won't uh, say that there's maybe confidence differences. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or he'll only very briefly look at them because he well, knows which it's usually, Which usually correlates, by the way. I, I mean, interest yeah, and confidence. Yeah, no, people are interested uh, in things they're good at. Yeah, that's, that's they're very the, They're very strongly tied together. Yeah. And people are really good at knowing what they're good at and yes. kind of doing them. Yeah. <laughs> so. and, and, and people, yeah, people slot themselves in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they, I completely agree. People are really good immediately at understanding which things they have potential for, which mm -hmm. things they're good at. They develop interest in those things. It's how we manage to develop a specialized society. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and he, he knows that that will 
upset yeah. a lot of people probably too much mm-hmm. to talk about that, even to question it, even mm-hmm. to go into it, uh, mm-hmm. even though he, he, you know, I'm, I'm quite confident has read and is aware on, on data about these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I can't entirely fault him for it, but I think there's, there's something to be said to, for, for at least having discussions that don't pull any of those punches or don't mm-hmm. try and like completely avoid those things. Um, yeah, he won't really touch on heritability, for instance, uh, which is... No, that's uh, not true. I think he does. It's IQ and heritability he touches on. Sure. And uh, in, in maybe maybe he won't go so far as to touch on what the, what the implications mean. Yes, uh, by yes. Law, he will. Right? He will. He'll cut off the discussion mm-hmm. before it gets to uh, yeah, like the very interesting implications. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he will not say things that are overly incendiary. Mm-hmm. For example, why California went from number one to like number forty nine in standardized math testing in America. Mm-hmm. It's like a very interesting case study. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler. Uh, ethnographic differences mm-hmm. over the time period uh, and standardized test. He'll talk about how we don't know any way to really improve people's standardized test scores, mm-hmm. particularly IQ scores. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and that's very true. We just don't know how to do it, but, but he'll, he'll, he will, I, I should say there's nothing wrong with him not discussing that particular anecdote. But he will particularly, he'll specifically derive. Well, there are limited, the, the more that you research this stuff, there are limited instances where people's IQ does improve dramatically. On the whole, it's very for, rare. For young children, though. Usually young, something. and there's and, and you do have a lot of cases, a lot of cases, yeah. where there are high mutation loads, yes. where kids will vary drastically well, uh, well, from no, their parents. Because, because, so so, so yes. geniuses oftentimes don't come from particularly high IQ parents. It, it's actually It's actually sort of, well, they're very often born premature, for example, yep. and, and which leads to like certain kind mm-hmm. of like brain damage that happens, which leads to hyper-specialization and stuff like this. So that's definitely the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're talking about like broad population averages and IQ ranges that are not yep. like in the super insane 200, you know, category mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, then these things are much more simply explained. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't fault Jordan for not having uncomfortable discussions about these things. What I fault him for is deriding people who do mm-hmm. uh, and vilifying them. Well, that's what happens over time. Better. I guarantee you, if we became famous for this, right, yeah. that, that's, that's what happens over time because you have to protect yourself, right? And well, 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 <laughs> you also have to, is, I, I mean, economically speaking, like, you know, for, 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 you know, I think that when you come from some, when you have to have a career and when you know that your career somewhat depends on on your political views, which is really, really sad and disheartening. Yeah. Um, but uh, unfortunately, a fact of the world as it stands right now. Yes. Um, and yeah. it didn't used to it's, be. It's, it's back to the exact same thing. You'll I, say I can't or mention, believe anything yeah. that your paycheck depends on. Yep. You know. I can't. Me- I can't mention this person by name, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but he's a good friend of mine, and he works in uh, a tech-related industry, and he's very prominent in, yeah. in, in, in the industry. Yeah. Um, and his company is currently being attacked, um, by all sides for basically all of the executives are being sort of labeled as misogynists, as sexist, as, Can I uh, speculate on the company? Uh, you, sure. You feel is, free to. Is this riot? Uh, uh maybe, be, maybe could could, it's possible. And, okay. uh, uh, so there's a, a, a really senior person there and, and, um, you know, he's just like, it, it couldn't be further from the truth. Look at all the female executives of this company, right? That have done really well. And guess what? Now we have this this strange sort of uh, pattern where people will join the company because they're so entitled, especially this generation. They're so entitled. They'll join the company a year ago and demand a fucking board seat, right? It's like, oh, w- wait a second. 
we built this company. And it's diversity is our strength and it must right, be good for me right, to sit there. Right. And I can cite some silly study that you can point poke holes in left and right all day mm-hmm. about why having more women on the board is just going to make your company more profitable. Yeah. But obviously I'm not just trying to make the yeah. company more profitable. I'm just trying to advance an agenda. Yeah. And we talked about this exact same thing. He's like, dude, we got into this thing because we wanted to make the product that we want to make, yeah. right? And we're all a bunch of nerds, yeah. and this was really fun. Yeah. And we built this, and we sacrificed and we just did our best to do it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. we sacrificed a ton, and we weren't thinking about all this, you know, sort of like political nonsense when yeah. we were building this thing. And in fact, if we did, it wouldn't be what it is today. For sure. And there wouldn't be millions of people who enjoy the product, yeah. right? It's what's so beautiful about startups is that that's all they can focus on is just try <laughs> yeah. to because desperately you have to survive. make something work. It's so hard yeah. to deliver anything of value to the marketplace. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But but that gets lost when companies get big and they have very reliable profit streams and you know that's the problem so there's it's complacency that has bred this type of discourse right there's a reason why a lot of people speculate myself included that like if you see an economic downturn a lot of these attitudes and companies may well start to shift because they'll actually have to start to worry about their bottom absolutely right and you see the same thing with really wealthy people right I personally am not rich enough to be liberal yet. <laughs> My ambition in life is to be just like Warren Buffett, right? Who there's like, there's like, you a, know, there's like a clock, right? Where yeah. you, you know, a certain level of income, you're conservative and then yeah. become liberal and then come conservative again yes, and then yes. become liberal again. Yes. Then eventually reach the high stratosphere of the Koch brothers or whatever. And yeah. Then, then and you then become you, George Soros. And yeah. <laughs> you can be whatever you want at, at yeah. that point. But the, the it's dangerous when for ordinary folks. And, and actually, I think it's, it's really sad that people like Warren Buffett um, who have never paid tax. He's paid less tax than any billionaire maybe ever in history. He's trying to pull up the ladder. He's a chronic he's, tax evader. He's someone who's, he's, yeah. he's, he's amassed a bunch of wealth and he wants to pull up the ladder yeah. so that those behind him can't climb up and reach where he got. That's right. That's right. It, it, it's uh, it's gross, man. Yeah. <laughs> and he's doing a tremendous disservice to uh, to entrepreneurialism, to, to, to our society at large. Because people look at him as as a, as a reliable narrator, right? And he is a reliable yeah. narrator about a lot of things, maybe. But 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 uh, there's just it's 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 I don't know. I wish more people would be as cynical as I am <laughs> about about understanding incentives and motivations yeah. and what people have to gain by lying and not believing things on face value. I've, I've been exposed to so many lies uh, <laughs> that people yeah. tell for so many different things. I think everyone has, um, but we. Suspend our disbelief, or, or, or we, we buy into things because we have something to gain by doing so. We can be part of a tribe. We're That's all right. anxious. And it, it can largely be reduced to just power, right? Yeah. It really is just power. Well, this is, this and, is and what you the, gain the, power the, and, like the intersectional feminists and all this yeah. stuff, they're all about this stuff. And I actually don't really disagree with them. And, and you gain a lot of power in good times, to your point. Yeah. Bad arguments gain a lot of power. It, and it's it, it, the funny thing is, is there's such a remarkable analogy uh, with, with the economy, right? Yeah. When things are really good in the economy, a lot of silly ideas get funded, right? A lot of bad things happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> that should... Uh, that, that would perish. It's, it's uh, the reason for the economic cycle. Yep. Which is, you know, there is value to trying to fund mm-hmm. many things that are bad, but maybe strike it lucky mm-hmm. every now and then. Mm-hmm. But there's access to it, and it's very hard to measure what the right level of these mm-hmm. things is. And, and they perish in bad times, and that's yeah. good. Yeah. And that is the same, and, and, and remarkably, uh, you see the same types of corollaries in culture during the exact same times with memes that follow and, yeah. the same exact. <laughs> the, yeah. So, um, and, 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 and so I, I agree with you. I think when, when times are too good, uh, people have the luxury. It's almost like, uh, 
you know, it, it's almost like a signal of wealth, right, and, and, and prosperity, where you're allowed to have ideas yeah. that are in direct contravention of the truth, yeah. um, because it's a luxury to be able to do so, because otherwise we'd have to survive, <laughs> yeah. and you'd have to adhere to ideas that work. If we were in war times, yeah. that is the most, that is the clearest, right? If we were in war, right, the funniest thing is you have this whole third wave feminism that says women are, are men, and by the way, want to be more like men are right in terms of their nature yeah but if we went to war i guarantee you it's all men (laughs) who's gonna go fight in that war oh yeah it's it's there's all there's so much nuance to why people seek the political aims that they do and it's very complicated and i'm i'm loath to say that anyone's like illegitimate in seeking some political power angle we're all just brutally competing in the state of nature with each right. other. Well, actually, you uh, and I are, in, are, are sort of uh, especially interested in, in truth, though. Yeah. Regardless of, and, and that's and that's what I think is it should be the true uh, the the true ambition of, of any anybody who cares about uh, who cares about epistemology, who cares about you know. I think, the, I think you and I dispositionally, positionally in life, whatever reasons we have. And I'm happy to take criticism and happy to have people point out why I'm actually just a liar and mm-hmm. not interested in truth. But I think you and I both immediately recognize this this common interest that we both had in the truth. And what people should be interested in is the fact that if you if you buy into that and if it, if you if you uh, acknowledge or it seems like this is what we're genuinely trying to do, a lot of people can benefit a lot from hearing conversations that are really trying to get at the truth. And so. You know, I'm not saying that we're better people than others for being interested so much in this and mm-hmm. trying to explore it, but we certainly, hopefully, are trying to provide a certain value to a lot of people. Or even brighter. It's just being able to acknowledge that, that if things are true or not, in spite of how those things affect you, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I think the problem is, uh, with a lot of these intellectually dishonest theories, yeah. is that you are, you are purposely biasing your beliefs and sometimes really eloquently <laughs> uh, in order to advance your certain cause that like, benefits like, you. Like I genuinely think probably one of the best ways to benefit myself is to just like make the world better. Yeah. Like, like straight up. Yeah. Like make the economy more efficient. Yeah. Make my products that I buy cheaper by, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. make, make uh, things stabler and, and more copacetic and uh, like reduce the risk of radical interest groups overtaking and destabilizing the generally pretty awesome system that, that we have operating now. Uh, That's probably because you still understand that there's a threat to that, right? Yeah. Because we're living in really unprecedentedly good times. Like, times are really fucking good, they're right? They're so good. They're, uh, they're they are so amazingly good. It's unreal. Good. It's unreal. And they're so good that people have, have already sort of uh, become accustomed to this type of, to, uh, to, to the economy that we live in to the fact that we have virtually no violence in the world relative to other times. Yeah. And but so and they were, don't think that it can happen again. If we were living in a state of pure anarchy yeah. where no collective government could be formed and mm-hmm. everybody disagreed with each other too much or was too individually subjectively oriented, I probably wouldn't advocate as much for spending all our time trying to figure out the truth. I might spend well, more of my time. You actually probably would like, spend more of your time. To be honest, I think well, that that might be the opposite. You might spend well, more you of your might, time. You might want to try and establish collective myths. Like you might say, hey, I know that all men aren't actually created equal, but like, it's, why don't we just pretend that's the case for now? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. th- there's value to that. I can accept that there's value to that. Yeah. Um, but if you look at if you look at really, really difficult times, like, you know, just when our country was formed, yeah. 
all of these guys were absolutely committed to they truth. They're hardcore by truth the way, seekers. They are. But they were still <laughs> willing to put into writing mm-hmm. and into the Constitution things that I'm sure they knew weren't true. Well, I think that the interpretation of all men are created equal is has, has changed over time. I don't think that they're saying we all have equal capabilities, we all have equal competencies, because they were very privileged, smart, high IQ people that I'm got together. They, I'm just thinking they knew that this was a false statement, but it's, a, it's well, an actually, effective the, political myth. Perhaps. They, it's, 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 the specific term is not men, all men are equal, it's mm-hmm. all men are created equal. Mm-hmm. And that would imply that any differences between men are entirely the product of things that happen. Like they're all nature. That, that, might, be nurture, a, not nature. that might be a literal uh, sort of interpretation. I think it, what they're really trying to get at is that I mean, they, in they this country... So to say we, we hold these truths to be self-evident. They're sure. like, we're actually going to say that this doesn't need any evidence. Yes. That's a purposeful, strong claim. Like they, people only do that but when they created know there's not equal, good evidence. Another way to, to interpret created equal means that we should have equal opportunities, that nobody's talent should be suppressed, that nobody should be... Uh, everybody should be able that's to stretch, fulfill. That doesn't follow from the statement to me. That's well, that's a good statement, and maybe that's closer to yeah. what I would say now is a better meme. But but uh, but maybe that's not what they're. But I don't think was. that's the, you don't really I don't really get that from that statement. Yeah, I think it's a statement about like the fundamental sovereignty of the individual that they were trying to establish in mm-hmm. voting. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to say that like you know you have a say in the government because mm-hmm. we're going to give one man one vote, mm-hmm. and that is a a. Arbitrary is not entirely the right word, but it's just a particular decision about, you know, crude calculations of, of what the right stable way to ensure everybody can cooperate together into a national entity that can, you know, compete with other national entities and prosper together and avoid unnecessarily negative sum games with each other. And there's value to, to, to mm-hmm. creation. But it's they true. weren't the kind. I, I don't think they were the kind of people that were self deluded about this stuff. I just think no. that they they purposefully. Well, you also have to realize the crowd that they were in, right? It's almost like being at Harvard or something like that, and being yeah. like, "Hey, look, all men are created equal." I mean, you're a bunch. You're with a bunch of really, really smart, I just, I just, uh, capable I, folks, right? Maybe it was cognitive dissonance, but I, I, I think that I think they're just trying to establish. I think they were very smart guys. All evidence is they were very smart guys. Incredibly. Who were very well aware of history. Mm-hmm. Who were very well aware of the fact that not that long ago, like. Literally at the same time in other countries, you had kings and nobles and mm-hmm. very clear hierarchical distinctions between people. Mm-hmm. And that they were making a bold claim that was different from that, that harkened right. back to a tradition going back to ancient Greece and Rome and of, of republics. And, you know, the, these things arose under very specific circumstances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they, you don't design systems that are as functional and successful as America's by accident. You do mm-hmm. it with a lot of careful consideration. Or you let them evolve. And in, in America's case, it actually was like very carefully designed. It wasn't just like spontaneously I evolved. actually think that's why that's why we, we've been such a prosperous country is is actually because of our foundational documentation. Yeah, we actually applied. I mean, there's a bunch of things that have benefited America, but, but we actually applied like really cogent wisdom about yes. the history of the world. Uh, to deciding how to do stuff better given today. They, and it, it they could have gone, gone wrong, but it happened to not. Yeah. Maybe, like, look, in an alternative history, maybe Brazil would be the ultra-successful country and America would suck because they went on different political paths. And we'd say, well, you know, Brazil is successful because of our great foundation. And, you know, those Americans obviously were just idiots and they got things wrong. And there's some luck to which country happened to get things right, but they certainly got things right. Well, I think it's almost like we're, we're just a really great university, right? And so so people look at political systems and choose where to live. Yeah. And that used to be a lot easier as well to migrate to different places, right? Uh, easier uh, in the past than now? What do you mean? Well, 
Well, well, so certainly through the 20th century, it was much easier. Uh, immigration sources were a much bigger constraint. Sure. So maybe you had smarter, richer people going to yeah. <laughs> going to places, right? No, no, no. There's well, there's a real value to be yeah. an immigrant hub. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to being yeah. an immigrant hub with a really attractive ideology underlying that immigrant hub, right? Well, Which well, is one that's well suited for immigrant hubs. Yeah. I would I would say there's a lot wrong with America's well suited for people who who have a lot of potential who who are allowed to re- reap the fruits of that potential yeah. right which yeah. is we're the, really the only country on earth where that's that well, Hong Kong is an even better immigrant hub than us you sure. can you can just straight go live in Hong Kong right now like yep. no big deal yeah 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 you don't need a visa to go there you can just like start working there very easily it's super free market oriented and yep. done it's, very well it's done pretty well yeah yep uh, and. Uh, but we're a big immigrant hub, mm-hmm. you know. So the, 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 it, it, it uh, America is a super outlier when it comes to like you know. And I think we will continue to be. I used to believe that like okay, America, just like every other country, is going to rise and fall, and that's a natural path of these things because the population becomes complacent. Yeah. And then and then we believe in welfare, and then we we yeah. sort of. Uh, uh, I, I, we, do, I do believe in the theory that like governments and countries are kind of like living organisms and they get cancer. Mm-hmm. Like I, I do think that is happening and will happen to America. Well, Europe has, has certainly uh, has unfortunately come down with a virulent form of, of aggressive cancer. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> Europe and, is, well, is well, one of the most... Uh, as, what is as, it? as long as you have eggs that can break and can't be put back together mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. you have entropic change or, mm-hmm. or, or you have uh, one-way systems of any kind, then they will progress towards some extreme that's not good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, 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 but it's usually socialism where people don't recognize uh, that you need to allow for failure and you need to allow for for uh, tremendous success in spite of people's uh, sort of uh, resistance towards <laughs> uh, towards towards outliers and it's, it's, and and ultra successful folks and and. And sort of free market systems and the collateral damage that attends those systems. People are rightly attuned to dramatic power asymmetries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, I and when we talked about this before, uh, I think the first episode of our podcast, like people have all kinds of different types of power. Mm-hmm. And if one person gets too much of a certain type of power, mm-hmm. then other people decide, well, I'm going to exert the power that I have that these people aren't that much stronger than me on yeah. to try to like level things a bit to not be dominated. But the funniest thing about American capitalism or, or capitalism in general is you constantly have to defend that power. Yeah. That in that is the wonderful thing about the free market. People go, look how rich that guy is. And it's like, well, sure, he's really rich. Now let's but only if he's contributing. Yeah. Only only if you're buying his shit. Yeah. Right? Uh, so Jeff Bezos, and then only if he invests his money into productive <laughs> shit and yeah. smart, economically effective exactly. investments over time. And, and if that doesn't work, and by the way, if his kids and progeny aren't aren't as smart as him, or yeah. as capable as him, or interested in making money as him, yeah. what what will happen is that wealth will dissipate really quickly, and yes. he will lose his power, and the family will lose their power. And in practice, it's in a very small number of generations that it usually does dissipate very quickly. Yeah, it's actually remarkable how quickly it dissipates. Really the markets efficient. are so efficient. Yeah. I mean, it's well, really, this, it, this is the thing people don't realize that the one percent is actually a very inconsistent group. Yes. It's not the same families that are always in the 1% or 2.1%. No. It is, in fact, a lot of economic mobility. But, of course, you always have a top 1% because it's definitionally have to have that. Yes. And that's the fun, funny thing. We never focus on mobility, which is the most important. Yeah. The question is, if you're a smart kid, right? Yeah. And not if you're a dumb kid, right? Because yeah. we don't. We, that's not how the world works. If you're a smart kid, yeah. right? Yeah. And you have a lot of potential. Yeah. And you work really hard. Yeah. Can you make it? Or are there uh, institutional impediments to to success? Yeah. And it's in uh, everyone's will, general shared interest 
maybe like individually someone might want to mm-hmm. you know sneak their way into harvard or something mm-hmm. but outside of their individual unique like cheating that they might be incentivized to do we all greatly benefit from having efficient fair systems mm-hmm. and it, we we really and i'm glad you know i if you know i should not get into caltech right yeah. <laughs> and and it's a good thing that caltech would not admit me yeah. right not that i would have applied there because i think it's a good thing that they're selecting the best engineers yeah. so those engineers can go populate talent pools are supposed yeah. to populate, yeah. right? Well, but, um, but, but but here's the thing too. I actually acknowledge you can pick certain groups, pick certain ethnic groups, pick certain whatever that maybe aren't that represented at Caltech. Mm-hmm. And you can actually understand why they might actually have something specific to gain if they all band together and think about their specific mm-hmm. collective interest as it differs from everyone else's, why they might want to disband Caltech or Stuyvesant School because there are no black kids at Stuyvesant High School. Uh, and... That's okay for them to advocate that interest, mm-hmm. but it should also be okay for the rest of people to say, well, we don't share that interest with you, mm-hmm. and we can talk about why we don't share that interest with you, mm-hmm. and thus we can exert our collective power to say, well, no, we're not going to let you destroy this thing because you don't want it, but everybody else wants it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm okay with groups asserting power. I just think that, that if they can organize, other people should be able to organize. That's right. Um, you just believe in, in the ability for, for, for people to advocate for their rights, and that's great, yeah. right? Um, but then there aren't certain groups who aren't allowed to anymore, which is which is like, what is like which would have like, like white, white people. people. Yes, they're actually you're not allowed to. You are not yeah. allowed to have. You can, you can have the lawsuit that's happening right now against Harvard University. Yep, uh, where I attended is it has to be Asians doing this lawsuit, even though in fact uh, there's a lot of arguments to be made that Asians are not the most discriminated against mm-hmm. in the admissions policy. The group. Uh, of let's say, uh, but if you could you imagine uh, that is the funny thing. Could you imagine if white people said, "Hey, we are well, we are"? Could well, you well, imagine spe- specifically? Uh, you know, the white people at Harvard are more than fifty percent Jewish, mm-hmm. which you're not really allowed to talk about, mm-hmm. even though it's well understood mm-hmm. if you attend there or look at, at mm-hmm. anyone looking at this. Uh, so if, it depends on how you want to define your groups. If you want to say, you know, non-Jewish. Uh, uh, like like uh, Christian Christian white Americans, okay? They're not allowed to assemble anymore. They're not and allowed I'm to not assemble. even part of it. I'm one of the Jewish ones. And, yeah. uh, you know, I guess I'm still allowed to because there's anti-Semitism, right? But uh, uh, <laughs> there's anti-Protestant yeah. whiteism as well. Plenty of it, plenty yeah. of it, right? We just don't, and we're not allowed brand, to point a they, word for it. They brand you. No, you know, you are. You're a white supremacist. Oh, right, exactly. That, that is that's what my you word are. for it. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, and... So, you know, I think it's hard to, to claim white, like, white supremacist is actually, it, it really is just the word for, for like, that's what you are. Oh, your group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you care about your group, yeah, right. Yeah. You're a white supremacist, bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which fine. But then let me call myself a white supremacist and don't <laughs> shit on me for it. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't, I don't care what word it is, Yeah. but it should just be, I mean, so, so the fact of the matter is the. That, that group of like non-Jewish whites, uh, I don't particularly think that we deserve to have our population representation in the country at Harvard. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think that others get to have that and we get to explicitly be squeezed mm-hmm. into like 15% of Harvard's class. I think it's more, it's more like 25% well, the, the of Harvard's class. Well, the bullying has been most effective against your kind. Yeah. It has been absolutely, it's, it's unbelievably been effective. effective. Brutally. And it's a really big thing. Yeah. And it affects a lot of people. And then there's all kinds of weird hacks that start to happen mm-hmm. to, to try and like counteract this, but it's just like all behind the table. Because and, they use the most pernicious 
sort of words to describe your or what what you, the types of oppression that you guys have inflicted in the past, right? Yeah. So, and, so and, and even if that's even if even by the way, even if that's true, even if it's everybody true, is guilty of all of this, right? For so sure. it depends I, I, on what your historical lens is, yeah, and how yeah. far back you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have a really hard time not finding a group that enacted what we define as genocide. I mean, today. the funny thing is, is, is uh, black people have certainly had a hard time in this country. But guess what? Black people have also had a hard time in Africa, uh-huh. right? <laughs> so and they've also they're... genocided the shit out of each other in all parts of Africa. Yeah. Look at the history of South Africa. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention Rwanda and all these different other places. Yeah. There's a lot so of where do you, where do, where, 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 conflicts. Where do you stop, right? Every type of human has, has certainly... Uh, Exerted power and force and violence on other humans yeah. um, from different groups or the same group. Yeah. Um, and that's just part of what we are. But we choose to specifically um, uh, well, sort it's, of curate, it's, curate marginalization by yeah. saying, well, these groups were marginalized in this way, in this country. And because of that, you guys are the assailants and, the, and you no longer deserve anything. Yeah. <laughs> and there's and there's been significant power creep on this stuff too. If you go back to like the seventies, yep. you know, it wasn't nearly as controversial to actually like debate some of these topics. Oh no. It's actually incredibly recent. It's not like it was immediately after World War II, everybody it's started like past hating white five people. years recently. It's, yeah, it, it, it's it's accelerated probably exponentially yes. the degree to which these things have been tabooed. Yes. And the internet seems to be like a really effective distribution me- mechanism for these memes and um but it, it uh Again, like it all, I think it all just comes down to definitions and political advocacy. Yes, um, precisely. Anyway, it, it, it uh, we've obviously touched on a lot of a lot of interesting things here, um, but uh, please join yeah, us next please time. Please join us next time. We have plenty <laughs> of new controversial we, we, items for you guys, we, 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 and uh, we look forward to it. Yeah, this is this is a new uh, longest podcast for us. Like maybe next time we'll go a little longer. <laughs> All right, take care, everybody.